Wrapping up the week in sports. This is Sportsnet Tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott Wolf. Happy Friday, 701. What's up, Vancouver? It is Roger Shergill. It is Josh Elliott Wolf. I'm broadcasting live from my home in beautiful Surrey, British Columbia. Josh Elliott Wolf back at the studio. Hope you guys are enjoying your week. Another week of no Canucks games. However, lots of news surrounding the Vancouver Canucks. We've got you covered right here on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Dan Riccio, the host of The People's Show, coming up at the bottom of the hour. He is going to be celebrating a big victory. We'll talk to him about that. And also, he'll help us break down the Tanner Pearson deal for the Vancouver Canucks. Adam Forsythe, Green Man, will dive into some Masters talk with us as well. That is at 8.30. And we'll also replay the interview from Vancouver Canucks general manager Jim Benning. He was on the People Show earlier on today, and he we will hear from him at 9 p.m. So, Josh, the Canucks signing Tanner Pearson earlier this week. Uh, they also make the Thatcher Demko uh, news official as well, by the way, five years at $5 million for their netminder. However, it is a three-year, $3.25 million deal for Tanner Pearson. Josh, I think the first question that everybody had uh, collectively was how in the hell does this make any sense? Yeah, it's a little bit uh, concerning to me. My immediate reaction was was just confused as to why it happened now. And I, I guess if they had made the decision that they were going to keep Tanner Pearson and that's the guy they wanted, I still think it could have waited until after Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes signed their extensions because as much as Jim Benning, I'm sure, has a pretty good idea of where he stands and where they stand as far as how much that's going to cost, you still never know what's going to happen in negotiations. And and to me, it just makes more sense to get the big, important pieces done like they did with Thatcher Demko before they move on to, in the end, uh, a guy who, in the end, is a middle six player like Tanner Pearson. Yeah, it's all about perception, right? I think that's the biggest thing because you're looking at this deal and you're saying you've got a big offseason. Everybody was really happy about getting the deal for Thatcher Demko done, who is obviously a member of the core for this Canucks team. But in a year where you have Pedersen and have Hughes to sign your biggest stars for the next you know, 15 or so years potentially, now you're signing a guy in a year where there is already a pandemic going on. So finances are very, very tight. Uh, The cap isn't going up as we know. uh, And the signings that you've already made in the past are also kind of creeping up on you as well. And now you're kind of extending that even more by giving Tanner Pearson a contract. Uh, It's, it's uh, one of those situations where it's frustrating Josh because of the, the, the kinds of deals that we've already seen in this market, right? It seems like we've been around, been down this road before and a conversation that we're having today and we're about to have throughout this show seems like a conversation that we have had two or three or four different times. Yeah, exactly. And that that's ultimately the frustrating part to me because if Tanner Pearson had signed for this price at this time, but the Canucks didn't have... Jay Beagle, Antoine Roussel, Sven Berchi, 
Michael Furlin, Brandon Sutter, all of those contracts in their still on the roster and in the immediate history of the team, maybe it'd be a different story and maybe I'd be a little more comfortable with it because, look, it, it, it's a whole lot different when you have one bad contract on your books than when you have several like the Canucks do right now. And I'm not saying Pearson is going to be as bad as those contracts look when he's in his second or third year. But that being said, why are you even putting yourself in the position where that could be a possibility, especially because you've seen how it's worked out in the past with all these players on your own team. And, and now you're just, you're, you're stuck in the cycle of signing players that are nearing their thirties or in their thirties and obviously past their prime and you're signing them to deals that just don't really make sense for your team at the time. What's the ideal situation for this Tanner Pearson contract for the player himself and and for the Canucks? Like I think everybody is hoping that Tanner Pearson is a third line player for your team because that ultimately means Bo Horvat has two better players to play with. If, if Pearson the guy is a guy in a pinch that if you need him to slot up in that second line, he can do that and he can provide some pretty good value for you there. But if ultimately he's playing on the third line, that makes your overall product on the ice a lot better because you've got two players that are actually better play drivers and better finishers than a guy like Tanner Pearson. No offense to him, but what we've seen from him, you know, since in his time in Vancouver, he's been a pretty good finisher. He's got a good shot, but he's not that play driving winger. And he's not that guy that should be next to Bo Horvath. At the very least, in my opinion, he should be a player that is like the third guy on that line, not the primary go-to guy for that second line spot. And that's been the biggest problem with the Vancouver Canucks. They haven't gotten those wingers to, to support Bo Horvat on a consistent basis. We thought we had it with, with, or they thought they had it with Tyler Toffoli and it was very short lived. And, and listen, you know, it's only, I think $700,000 more than, or Tyler Toffoli only signed for $700,000 more, which kind of makes you question this signing a little bit more. But the question for me, Josh, is what's the ideal fit for Tanner Pearson and where and how does that differ from the Canucks management's eyes? Do they think of him as a long-term fit on this second line? Or are they saying, well, he's going to be a great third-line player Well, we get some younger options and potentially cheaper options in there? But that, to me, does kind of seem like a stretch, again, based on the, the results that we've seen from this organization in the past. So I think... There's a couple different answers to the question of where does Tanner Pearson ideally fit on the roster? Because there's the roster as it is now where, look, he is ideally on the second line, but that's also because you don't really have anyone to come in and and step up and take that role from him. And look, even next year when Vasily Podkolzin comes into the NHL, you can't just pencil him into the second line as much as you hope he he takes over that spot and is a good fit with Bo Horvat. You can't assume that's going to happen. So you, it, it's still good to have Pearson as a middle six forward next year. But going back to what Jim Benning said last month, he said the Vancouver Canucks are two years away from really competing. And if he truly believes that, then Tanner Pearson cannot be your second line winger in two years. And I'm not saying he is going to be your second line winger in two years, but I'm saying he's getting paid like he should be 
And again, I, I've talked about this before. Lots of people have talked about this before. It comes back to cap allocation. And right now you're allocating. That's your favorite word. That's my favorite word, man. Uh, <laughs> you're allocating that cap n- properly to a second line player. Look, right now I think Tanner Pearson is worth $3.25 million. But next year, the year after, and especially the third year, I think that money is just going to be another bloated contract in the bottom six. And it, I hope I'm wrong, but that's the way I see it trending. Yeah, and you're right about that. You're right about cap allocation, and, and you're right about where the priority kind of needs to be when signing players to your top six. And the Vasilipod Colson and, and Cole Lind is another name that comes comes to these conversations when, you know, projecting the rosters for the upcoming season. Where do these guys fit in? Uh, and, but you're right. Like, those guys aren't players that are going to necessarily step into a top six role and be world beaters for you all of a sudden, right? So, again, I think Tanner Pearson, and he's the main conversation that we're going to have throughout this show today, 650-650, the dunbar Lumber text line, by the way, get your thoughts in. Um, I think that's a, again, it's an okay fit for a, a very short amount of time, but he hasn't proven to me, Josh, that that's a, it's a long-term fit. And it's, it's one thing, I think, for, for management to believe in his intangibles and believe in his leadership and for Travis Green to really like the defensive aspect that he plays on the ice because obviously he he believes in him enough to put him on the ice more than other players and and that goes a long way but to me the biggest problem or one of the biggest problems with this trade with this signing Josh is is the fact that it makes is the perception that we talked about at the top of the show. It makes it seem like that you are prioritizing getting a player done at three point two five million dollars uh, when you're competing, or sorry, when you're bidding against yourself, and when you're you know getting him done in the middle of the season as if he is one of your star players, and when you already do have two franchise guys to sign, and on top of that, you know when when all the conversation is happening about getting a player like Pearson signed, to me, I think. I was thinking the best ca- the best course of action for this franchise with Tanner Pearson is probably to trade him. But if you do need to get him signed, then I understand the importance that he has to the team. I do think that he has a, a big role to play on that third line for the Vancouver Canucks. But the, the thing that needed to be done was to get him at a right number. And... I don't think that they did that either. I don't think that they got him at a discounted rate. I don't think that they got him uh, at a number that is, uh, you know, helpful to them in any sort of way. And I feel like if he was a UFA in free agency in the middle of July, you would have gotten him at a very similar number then as well. Exactly. And you you said it. That's that's my issue with this whole this whole process as well is because I don't think. Let's say let's say free agency is July 1st. I don't think there's going to be that many teams calling Tanner Pearson's agent being like, hey, we need you on our team. We'll pay whatever it takes. That being said, I think he would still have interest, but I don't know if his interest would have been so high that you needed to get him signed right now. And I think maybe you let him test the market. He circles back to Vancouver and because he wants to stay with the Canucks, maybe he takes a little bit less. But the way this was treated was as, to your point, as if he's a he's a core piece. And if he's a guy like Elias Pettersson or Quinn Hughes, 
or someone of that ilk. And we get a couple texts in to the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. Crosby is 33. Would you want him even though he is older? That comes from Brian and Poco. He also mentions Ovechkin being 35 years old. Those are the two, the two best players of their generation. Yes, I would like to have them on my team, no matter the <laughs> age. But Tanner Pearson, while he's a good hey, player. Hey, if Ovechkin gets to break the goal-scoring record in a Canucks jersey, man, that would be in. incredible. <laughs> yes, yeah. I, will, I will buy an Ovechkin jersey immediately. But no, like yeah. Tanner Pearson, while doesn't he's a good say, player. Sorry, doesn't say a whole lot coming from you because you're a jersey head anyway. But <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> But Tanner Pearson, while he's a good player, I would not be he's, – he's obviously just not on the same tier. And his his decline <laughs> is going to be completely different – a completely different curve than those guys. <laughs> yes, completely. I, it's not a conversation that I think really needs to be had. Uh, Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott-Wolf here. Uh, it is Sportsnet tonight. We'll hear from Canucks general manager Jim Benning uh, later on in the show. He was on with uh, Dan Riccio, Randeep Janda, Satyar Shah earlier on today on the People Show. Uh, I don't know if you got a chance to hear the entire interview, Josh, but uh, there was a point in that interview that I think it's a lot of people are talking about it on Twitter, but... Jim Benning seemed to be getting a little upset at uh, some 650 hosts uh, for for his their line of questioning. Uh, you know, talking about the salary cap and how much money they're going to have to spend and all of these sort of things that the fan base and us as media talk about all the time. And we kind of, you know, tear our hair out of our head because it seems like a, a very stressful topic. Um, did you did you hear that Jim Benning get upset and? Like how mad I guess he really was at the fact that the the main line of questioning always seems to be about the salary cap. Yeah, he tight. Hold on. That's the problem that you guys have because you don't have all the information. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was and look, I get it. If you're if you're in a position in your job and you think you're doing really well and you think you're you're succeeding, and then all of a sudden these critics come at you and they're like, Hey man, like I don't think you're actually doing that well. Here's here's the issues I think you have. I I would also be, right. be a little upset. But that that being said, like it's uh it everybody is right in their in their critique of being question questionable of him and and how he's handling the salary cap right now because as much as he says it's not really an issue, I think it, from the outside looking in, it does seem to be a bit of a problem and we get a text in as well about this there has to be something we don't know who do they know they are definitely going to lose yeah. or trade away that made it necessary to sign tanner pearson now that's from ryan and courtney well here's the thing like yeah like as you mentioned everybody is right in their critique of of general manager jim betting and even ownership right in this sense it, it kind of is tied together but you know who else is right kind of Jim Benning, like in a way, right? Jim Benning is kind of right in the sense that we don't know the everyday business management that happens uh, within general managers and how they project their roster, right? We don't know what's happening, what kind of conversations he's having right now with other general managers, with his staff, and with ownership. So he's right in that sense that we're kind of looking at this just from a reactionary point of view and then just sort of ripping into the team when we believe something is wrong. Jim Benning is right. We don't get to see everything that happens. That being said, 
when he says that we don't get to see everything that happens, it kind of makes you wonder, does he have something else up his sleeve? And that's where I start to think, okay, if you're going to come out with a quote like that, and if you're going to come out with a quote where earlier on you said, that's also circulating on Twitter, that I don't see any uh, salary cap problems coming this off season or, or whatever it was. If you're going to come out with those kinds of quotes, then it seems like you're going to have a bigger plan. And if that bigger plan, Josh, doesn't come to fruition this off season, that's going to be another disappointing moment for the Vancouver Canucks fan base, I feel like, because we saw it this off season when, you know, all the talk was, will they be able to move off of a player like Brandon Sutter? Will they be able to get rid of the money? Is Tyler Toffoli going to come back? They did a pretty good job with Nate Schmidt, but overall, I think the off season was the fan base was a little lukewarm about it. It's going to be a similar situation this offseason as well, I think. But even the comments made by Jim Benning, it does make it seem like there's a little bit more going on. And I don't know if we should read into it like that, but that's sort of how I'm reading into it at least. Yeah, I think I am too. And when when you're in a position like Jim Benning and you say something like that, you better, you better have a pretty good idea that something is going to be happening. Because otherwise you're just... You're, you're critiquing people for questioning you when they're right in questioning you, right? And I do hope right. there there is something that we don't know because then that maybe opens up a bit more options this offseason and, and maybe that validates the Pearson contract a little bit more. Uh, we got some texts in about that. Uh, this one from Tim. Maybe they know Louie is retiring after this season. Hey, like maybe, but again, it's... There would have to be something like that, or maybe it's a Jake Vertanen buyout or an Antoine Roussel buyout or something that, that frees or up. Or a Louis Erickson buyout. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that that frees up the cap space for this to to really make sense, I guess. No, you're right. Yeah, completely. Uh, we get another text in from Vince Z, or Vince Z, as I would like to say. Uh, Pearson, the only thing that saves a steal is the trade clauses. Seven-team uh, in two years and open in the following year. Here's the next Sutter when he leaves this summer. Um, I, I don't know if he's going to be the next Brandon Sutter. Maybe, perhaps. Like that is a that's a decent comparison. Uh, one thing about trade clauses, yeah, it, it's going to be a closed or a complete no trade clause, uh, I believe, next year. Uh, but he is still able to be exposed to the uh, uh, to Seattle expansion draft. But one thing about trade clauses is that when it is modified, and a lot of trade clauses are, right? A lot of people will say, how did guys like Antoine Roussel and Jay Beagle and whatever get a no trade clause? You got to remember that a lot of these are modified deals. So you're able to still move off the player because you've still, in most cases, got like 20 teams you're able to deal with. And if you can't make a trade with 20 teams, then I don't think you're necessarily doing your job all that well. Uh, but going on with Tanner Pearson, I wouldn't be too worried about the trade clauses, and I know that the texture Vince, you're not too worried about them, but it's a pretty good uh, reminder, I guess, that Tanner Pearson, it's more than just a $3.25 million deal. There's more to this with, with Canucks giving him that no trade clause because it for at least a year, it shows you that he's going to remain a member of the Vancouver Canucks, even if the team, for example, next year isn't as strong as you know the Canucks fans or or management is hoping for him to be. Definitely. And uh, 
Here's another another text. The management staff will decide the lineup, not the sports radio staff. You radio jabronis run your mouths off too much as it is and definitely need an on-off switch with your inaccurate speculations and angering the fan bases. I'm pretty sure the on-off switch is just turning off the radio. Uh <laughs> But ah, yeah, as, you have you you're at the controls, man. You've got all the access. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, as far as the trade protection, I would not be too worried about that. Maybe if it was a if it was a no movement clause, I'd be a little bit more concerned. As far as the expansion draft goes, like even if he had like look, he he doesn't have to be protected, but there's no way they do not protect him. Like you look at who the Canucks have on their roster right now, Pearson would have been somebody they protect regardless of the contract situation, assuming he was signed into next season. So this doesn't well, really... Yeah, because he, he, he wasn't the guy that we... Like, there was a seven forwards and we had thought of six, right? And we were kind of trying to figure out who that seventh player was going to be. And I think a lot of people had expected Tanner Pearson to not be there for the Canucks, right, Josh? Uh, exactly. And, and now... I don't know, man. Like, is there? I think there's a scenario that Tanner Pearson is left unprotected. Like, who's that seventh guy? Is it Tyler Mott? Is it is it Cole Lind, for example? Uh, yeah, it, you're right. It makes a little bit more sense based on the fact that you signed him to this deal to to just protect him because you know you made it a priority to get it done. Uh, but at the same time, I don't know, man. Like, there might be somebody else that might be a little bit more, uh, you know, beneficial to keep around. Yeah, so let's, I I guess, let's run through this. So you're protecting, you can protect seven forwards, three defensemen, and one goalie. So let's say you go Brock Besser, Bo Horvat, JT Miller. Uh, so that's three. Elias Pettersson, that's four. And then let's say you protect Tanner Pearson as well. That's five. And then you can go two of Tyler Mott, Adam Gaudet, Jake Vertanen, Zach McEwen, Cole Lind. And so... In that situation, you're probably exposing, I would say, Cole Lind. And in that scenario, he's probably the one getting taken just because... Look, yeah, the I think... Sorry, go ahead. I th sorry, I, th I think most... I think most, like, you know, sort of uh, expansion draft simulators or whatever you want to call it that you do, Cole Lind is the guy. But I wonder if that's the correct... You know, choice. I wonder if that's the correct decision because, look, similar to Tyler Myers, right? And the defensive situation when it comes to uh, exposing or protecting players is a little bit different when it comes to the Canucks because of the way that the contracts work out. You Canucks kind of have to, uh, kind of have to at this point protect Tyler Myers. But if they do acquire another defenseman, then that gives you that flexibility to to keep Tyler Myers uh, exposed. But my point is this: that. Tyler Myers is one of those guys that you can look at and leave unprotected if you have that capability to do so, and Seattle might not take him. But I wonder if you can do the same with Tanner Pearson. Is that an attractable player for a player like for a team like Seattle? I think it is, but also that also gives you then the flexibility to protect a player like Cole Lind, and I wonder what the Canucks are going to look at in that sense because. Yeah, obviously you would rather have a Tanner Pearson playing on your third line than you would Cole Lind at this juncture in their careers and where they are in their trajectory. But also, what does that mean for 
the progress that Cole Lind has made. And he's done pretty good at the American Hockey League level right now. And he's done a good job of transitioning from wing to center. And that's always tough, especially at that age, especially at that point in your career. He's done a pretty good job of, you know, every challenge that's been put forth to him. He's done a good job of really getting to that next level. So I'm really excited about Cole Lind as he becomes a player. But I wonder if Vancouver is ready to just give him away to to Seattle uh, without seeing him firsthand at the National Hockey League level themselves. Yeah, it's a little bit tough. I do think if Tanner Pearson was exposed, as, as much as we're kind of critiquing the contract and stuff, I do think he would still be the most yeah. attractive option for Seattle. But yeah, you're right. It does It does kind of give the option to hey, maybe you do leave him exposed and that gives you the option to protect Cole in. But I think if they really wanted to do that, they would have let Tanner Pearson go to free agency and that way you would not have had to protect him anyway. And then expansion draft goes by, you're able to protect Cole in regardless. And then free agency hits and you can circle back to Pearson. So based on the way they handled this, I do think... Pearson is is probably going to be protective regardless, but it does give them a bit more options for sure. Roger Shergill, Josh Shelley, Ulf, it is sports set tonight. Uh, just quickly, I want to want to say this story. Connor Bedard for the Regina Pats, 15-year-old player, scores the game-winning goal today in his final game this season in the Western Hockey League, gives Regina the victory in overtime. For those who don't know Bedard, North Vancouver product, granted exceptional status in the WHL this season. And earlier this week, the 15-year-old's grandfather passed away. Bedard elected to play in his final game in the dub this year before coming home to Vancouver. And what a way to finish the season for Connor, as mentioned, scoring the game-winning goal. A great tribute to his grandfather. He's coming home now to do his quarantine before he heads out to the U18 tournament. Uh, Josh, just a great story. We've we've spoken to Connor as well on this show. Uh, just a great young kid, bright future ahead of him, and it's good to see him, uh, you know, get that game-winning goal in his final WHL game this season uh, in a week that I'm sure has been so tough for him. For sure, yeah. It's 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 a really heartwarming story, I guess. Maybe maybe not the right word to use, but. It's it's really exciting to kind of see what kind of player he's going to turn into. Right now, dare I say, he's on track to be the best BC-born player if he reaches his potential. He's got a lot of competition for it right now, but yeah. it's uh it, it's really good to see a local product, especially a guy like Connor Bedard, who you you mentioned it. We talked to from all accounts, he seems like a very genuine guy, succeeding yeah. so early in his career. Yeah, the first ever player in WHL history to get the exceptional status. Great job by Connor Bedard earlier today. Dan Riccio, host of the People Show, is coming up on the other side. He is celebrating a big victory. Password is here to stay on Sportsnet 650. We'll talk to Dan about that and also dive a little bit into the Masters as well. It's Roger Shurkill, it's Josh Elliott-Wolf. It is Sportsnet tonight on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Friday nights got a bit brighter. Yeah, but you ain't so bright. On the radio, this is Sportsnet Tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott Wolf. Welcome back. It is Sportsnet Tonight. Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott Wolf. 650 650 is a Dunbar Lumber text line. 
share your thoughts. We'll dive deeper into more Vancouver Canucks talk. What does this Tanner Pearson signing mean for the Vancouver Canucks? We'll also hear from general manager Jim Benning. He was on the People's Show with Dan Riccio, Safiar Shaw, and Randeep Janda earlier today. Got a little feisty as well. We'll talk to Riccio in a couple of minutes here. Uh, we'll get his thoughts on what's happening around the Vancouver Canucks and also uh, chiming in on some Masters talk as well. Trucker James texting in. In a perfect world, Louis Erickson retires. Jay Beagle, Michael Froland either retire or go on LTIR. Roussel gets bought out. And Pearson or Holpe get picked up by Seattle. Yeah, that is, uh, <laughs> that is a pretty perfect world, James. That is uh, something that the Canucks would actually really much enjoy, very much enjoy, because you get that cap flexibility that obviously has been so tough for them. I think that the Canucks are probably going to be one of the prime teams when it comes to, to making side deals. I've just got that feeling. I think there are too many contracts in play in Vancouver, too many contracts to try and move out, and I feel like it's going to be a little bit tougher to do without being creative because we got another text in saying that Cole Lind or Tyler Mott should be should not be exposed. Might as well leave Tanner Pearson exposed because if the contract is as bad as everyone says, then they won't take him anyways. I disagree with that. I don't think that the contract is necessarily bad for Tanner Pearson in the sense that Seattle won't find it attractive. I just don't think that it was necessarily the right move for the Vancouver Canucks to be making at this juncture uh, in their trajectory. It is Sportsnet tonight. Roger Shurgill and Josh Elliott Wolf joining us now. Do we call him the Prime Minister? It is Dan Riccio just off of a big election victory. What's going on, Reach? Password lives. That's what's going on. <laughs> Pass, password lives on. I was a. Uh, I voted yes. I want everybody to know that. However, uh, my co-host here, uh, Josh Elliott Wolf, was uh, a big uh, hater of password. Apparently. Yeah. Are you guys beefing right now? Like, is this going to be an argument for the rest of the show? I like. I felt. Um, I, I got to say, I felt a little bit betrayed by Josh when I said no. I mean, uh, I had to do – you went after uh, – I, I think it was the Guess the Lines intro, which I was a part of because people were coming at your intro. And so that's when I put my stake in the ground and I decided I was going to vote no. You did it to yourself. Well, it didn't matter. You ended up on the losing end uh, and password gets to live another day. Uh, and I'm excited does, uh, to fire up a big intro on Monday. <laughs> does does password extra live on as well? Because you know you know my feelings towards well, Raja, like uh, password extra, of course, lives on. It was still living oh, even today. You're the only person right. on the planet who doesn't seem to like password extra. I just don't don't see a point in password extra. Just that's my opinion. <laughs> uh, Dan Riccio joining us, host of the People's Show with. Uh, Randeep Janda and Satyar Shah here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Reach the Vancouver Canucks making it official with Tanner Pearson a couple of days ago, signing him to that three-year contract. Uh, what are your What's your biggest concern with this deal? Because I think across the board in Canucks Nation on Twitter and with the media, it wasn't necessarily you know liked a whole lot. What What's your biggest concern with this deal? Uh, it's just that they've continued making. Um, 
bets on players that are past their prime. You know, it's it's one thing with Thatcher Demko. You give him a five-year deal, and it's pretty expensive, unprecedented contract for a player with his type of, uh, you know, sample size in the league. But, you know, you're betting for future performance. And there's a really good – there's a chance that if Thatcher Demko continues playing as well as he did this year – that he brings value on that contract. I, you know, I don't see a chance of getting value on this contract with Tanner Pearson. He may live up to it if he plays as well as he did through the 1920 season, and that's fine. But I, I don't see where the Canucks get value on a lot of their deals. You know, Bo Horvat, maybe you can argue that. Uh, Brock Besser... Uh, certainly this year you're getting more of that, but last year you didn't really. JT Miller, that's a contract that you're getting value on. Cost you a pretty penny to get him here, and you didn't give out that contract. You know, there's just not enough contracts on the books that aren't entry-level deals that the Canucks win on. And I don't see how they win on this contract with Tanner Pearson. He may live up to it, but you're not getting any added value on this contract. And chances are you have Pod Colson in here next year, Hoaglander continues to develop, and Pearson falls down the lineup and his production falls with it. There's also been a lot of talk about the Canucks and, and their plan in the last month or so. And I think we can all agree that odds are Jim Benning and company do have a some sort of plan in place. But do you think that plan is changing and is it perhaps becoming more reactionary lately? Well, I think the, the plan is always a little too reactionary with if I'm going to critique this management group. And you felt that in the summer this year with how things played out there. And you just can't have that. You can't have that continue uh, if you are going to you know, put the pieces that you need to around the core that you've built. You know, you've done a good job in the draft. Well done. You've got to do more than that to build a Stanley Cup contender. And, you know, even when we talked to Jim Benning today and he, you know, quickly rebuked at the idea that you know, the Canucks aren't going to have cap space or where do they have extra cap space after they sign Pedersen and Hughes, like their plan, they've, they've got something in the works. They know where they're going to have more cap space open up. But the plan, you need to be more than one year at a time. And it feels like far too often the plan has been one year at a time. You have to think, you know, what's your one-year plan, three-year plan, five-year plan? And I'm sure they have these things loosely kind of worked out. But the way that they react every single offseason, it's like they're changing whatever their philosophy is year to year. And I think that goes beyond Jim Benning and is more of an organizational critique, but they've got to figure it out, pick what they want to be, and go after it, get after it, and work towards being that rather than changing your plan constantly. Yeah, you touched on it a little bit there, Reach. Benning got a little pissed at you saying that uh, we don't know as much as they do when it comes to the salary cap, which I guess is a fair thing to say. But does that suggest a little bit that they have something else up their sleeve when it comes to this offseason? 
Yeah, of course. And, and I'm, I hope they do because what else are you going to be able to do with this roster if you don't? You know, uh, Randy reported this week that maybe Jay Beagle, uh, the injury lasts into next year and he ends up on LTIR. There's $3 million opening up. You have Michael Furlan that goes on LTIR. That's another $3.5 million there. Uh, is there a buyout plan for Louis Erickson or Antoine Roussel or maybe even Jake Furtanen? Like, there's things you can do, but, you know, this gets back, like, and this goes back to Pearson. Like, why are you signing another one of these contracts that you might have to reevaluate in a few years' time? You know, these are the things that this management group has just consistently made mistakes on. And sure, Pearson's a little bit younger than a Roussel or certainly a Beagle when they sign those contracts, but there's still a worry there for a declining player. And of course, I expect that you have some irons in the fire as to how you are going to open up cap space, but I'd rather and this is a pretty easy concept to get behind given how much we've seen cap space is valued around the league. I'd rather just be open and see what comes, see what opportunities are available because you have cap room and another team doesn't. That's essentially how they ended up with Nate Schmidt. You know, that's one of their best defensemen, if not the best defenseman that they've had this year. Quinn Hughes, obviously the ceiling is higher, but I think Nate Schmidt has played better for the year, but you can't take advantage of those opportunities if you're constantly battling against the top of the salary cap. And that's why, you know, I I get that they are finding ways and they will find ways to open up some room, but with the way that they are and the way that they're built, they shouldn't be having those problems already. Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott-Wolf at Sportsnet tonight, joined by Dan Riccio, host of The People Show here on Sportsnet 650. Is there a comment, Reach, from Jim Benning today that really stood out to you more than any other? Uh, I think it was uh, the age range of <laughs> the, the, the Stanley Cup champions, you know, he, started to get, uh, I guess, frustrated with the amount of questions around Tanner Pearson and how his future may go with with the Vancouver Canucks after signing this deal. And it just felt like, you know, to to speak in a generality of, hey, this is the age range of of where you win Stanley Cups when you have a window. I think that speaks to uh, kind of this narrative where uh, we've thought, this management group still thinks a little bit too much in the past and how things used to be done rather than how they are done right now. And, you know, you, you don't have to look back too far. Uh, the Chicago Blackhawks, how young were they when they won their first cup in, in 2010? And it, it's just such a, I, it just felt very arbitrary, you know? And I, I, that's the frustrating part is, you should have a specific idea, not such a wide range. And I just, I I didn't really love that comment. It really stuck out to me. And then he followed it up with, you know, Tanner Pearson is a guy who is professional. He brings it every night, plays every game like it's his last. Uh, And then two seconds later, he was saying, uh, I think the schedule is something Tanner Pearson had trouble with this year uh, because it was so heavy. You know, it's just, 
there's there's a lot there that just kind of doesn't provide a lot of confidence for where this team is headed. Uh, Dan Riccio of The People's Show with Satyar Shah and Randy Janda joining us, Roger Shurgo and myself, Josh Elliott Wolf, on Sportsnet tonight. I'm going to transition a bit, uh, Dan. As you know, I'm a big golf guy. Uh, oh, big golf guy, Josh Elliott Wolf. Big, big golf, golf guy. guy. I can drive the green one shot and a par four. Uh, but uh, the Masters, two days in the books already. Justin Rose on top. What are your takeaways from the first couple days? Do you think Rose will finally break through at the Masters or do you uh is there an underdog that maybe you think will will come up on him well I mean Jordan Spieth is looking pretty good right now that guy's kind of just lurking in the background I, uh, I always worry about him at the Masters the way that he can play obviously he hasn't really been the same since well at, at Augusta specifically since that choke job he had uh, on the 12th hole a few years ago but I, I think he's always a threat when it comes to the Masters and how Augusta plays for his game. Um, but one thing I am really curious about is Bryson DeChambeau. And he had a much better weekend, or he had a much better Friday than he did Thursday. And he probably played himself out of contention in the first day. But the thing I – like, I, I like storylines, you know. And I think DeChambeau has kind of become golf's villain with the way that he is and – the way that he talks and Gus uh, is like a par 68 for me. And then it comes back and bites him. But it's also like this storyline of golfers today and the way they think the game, how far they hit it. They're making these old traditional courses obsolete. And I love that Augusta bit back at, at Bryson on the first day and they did it again, you know, in, in November but that storyline of the new age golfer versus Augusta for me is a big one. And I want to see how Bryson does this weekend. I, I want a big time player in those final groups and on Sunday. And I hope Bryson gets there because it'd be just too good of a storyline to end the weekend off on. Yeah, you're completely right about that. Uh, you know, there was also a couple of other players that are big names that we saw earlier in the you know, in the first couple of rounds, never weren't able to, to really get their footing right. Rory McIlroy, obviously, hasn't really been the same for a couple of years now. Dustin Johnson, another one, set a record at the last Masters, and now this year uh, hasn't really looked the same as well. He's not going to make the cut, will not play on the weekend. What's your take on, like you kind of touched on it a little bit there with DeChambeau, but what is your take on the fact that some of these guys that are more veterans to the game just haven't been able to deal with Augusta's conditions this this, this week? weekend uh, i think the people at augusta wanted to make sure that uh it did not play as easy as it did in november and some of that was you know out of their control right the the conditions in the fall were much easier to play with than they are at this time of year uh the course was too soft now certainly the scores were better here in round two than they were in round one but i i just you know, like, I can't get over Rory. Um, I, I don't want to call him a choke artist, but he's a choke artist, man. Like, this guy <laughs> absolutely has the game to win at Augusta. It's the last major that he needs to complete the Grand Slam. And every year, he's just not pulling it off. And even in November, you know, he ends up finishing uh, top five. But 
couldn't get out of his own way in the first round, and it was too much for him to to overcome through the rest of the tournament. You know, I think it's when it comes to golf, guys go through bits of form and 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 falling out of form. But with Rory, the storyline has just too often been he has one bad round at Augusta that kind of takes him out of contention, and you know that's a guy that and he's already had an incredible career, but in order to have the legacy that we thought he might, uh, certainly in his mid-20s with the way that he was going with some of the major victories he had, he's going to need to find a way to get through this and get his, his big jacket to, to really live up to that legacy that a lot of people put on him. You, uh, like, where you're go- you like where you're sitting right now in the uh, 2021 Spro Masters? No, I do not. Uh, the Spro Masters School has not gone well for me, but uh, a couple of T-shirts will be on hand. For those who win it, uh, we ended up with like 90 contestants. Josh Elliott Wolf thought he had a pretty good chance at first. Now I think you're in the top 10, Raja, so you got some good picks there going for you. But I, uh, one thing I definitely don't want is for Randy to win it. So uh, yeah. I'm hoping <laughs> that he falls down the uh, Spro Masters Pool leaderboard as the weekend Well, goes. yeah. I've I've fallen out of the top ten, but both of your co-hosts, man, Sat and Randeep, uh, in the top ten. Randeep sitting at third spot right now, so uh, it's going to be a little tough for you with, on the. the I can show. live with Sat. I can live with Sat having a good weekend and maybe winning. Yeah. I can't live with Randeep. He de- he so. deserves it after you made Password a permanent picture on his show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's going to have to live with Password now. Maybe even have to do his own intro for it. So. Uh, we'll, 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 we'll let that maybe have some success in the master's pool. A couple of people on the text line asking, uh, dad, are you doing dishes? Uh, finishing off dinner, a little, uh, sausage oh. and, uh, nice little Ebbona Italian sausage and, uh, some, some veggies <laughs> just steamed them up, getting ready, getting the dinner fired up. Still working out my routine, boys. I haven't, I haven't figured out this new time slot yet. <laughs> exactly well we really appreciate you coming on just uh, half an hour after your show finished so uh, we're working you hard today man really appreciate it thanks so much for the time all good boys you're the best talk soon that is dan riccio host of the people show catch him alongside randeep janda and satya shaw along with producers Vic nazar and canberra from four from sorry 3 p.m to 7 p.m here on sportsnet 650 the official home of the Vancouver Canucks. Coming up on the other side, the five most pressing questions in the world of sports. We bring them, we answer them. It is the five W's. That's coming up on the other side. Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott Wolf. It is the official home of the Vancouver Canucks, Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Sportsnet Tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott Wolf. Now, here are your hosts, Raja and Josh. It is Sportsnet tonight. Roger Shurgill and Josh Elliott Wolf with you. A couple more hours to go here on the program with you until 10 o'clock. 650, 650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. Get your thoughts and we'll continue to discuss all that's happening with the Vancouver Canucks. Also the Masters as well. We'll get some baseball talk in a little bit as well if we have some time. Joe Musgrove, no hitter for the Padres against Texas. Josh, I know you're a big baseball head. That is the first no hitter in Padres history. Which is a bit surprising to me. I mean, at this point, I feel like every 
Major League Baseball team should have a no-hitter somewhere in their history, but good for San Diego. Right. Uh, they're, sh they, they're supposed to be good this year. I mean, I think it was last week, maybe the week before, I picked them to be my World Series favorite, which maybe isn't super bold, but it might be tough for them to, to get by the Dodgers. So this is a good step in the right direction for me being right. Hey, I'm a Chargers fan, so uh, anything San Diego, like, uh, I'm cheering for them, man. Like, let's go. But th that being said, however, I know last week, or, yeah, I believe it was last week on this very show, uh, I was saying that the LA Dodgers are going to be my World Series winner, and I kind of uh, hated on the Padres a little bit, but maybe this is the beginning of a tremendous season for the Padres, and uh, this is how it begins with a no-hitter early on this year. Yeah, Fernando Tatis as well is is missing some time, so maybe that hurts their chances a bit, but they're still a pretty well-rounded team. Um, were you a Chargers fan when they were in San Diego, or were you, when they moved to L.A., did you adopt them? I adopted them when they were in Los Angeles. So, oh, my uh, goodness. But I, but, I, but I am still going to say that I... Uh, I love everything about the history of the LA Chargers. Listen, I just did not have a uh, a favorite team necessarily as growing up, but a couple of players that I really enjoyed watching was were Philip Rivers and Ladanian Tomlinson. Uh, it just took me a couple of years to really uh, you know put the the jersey on and really become a full time Chargers fan. But we're we're there now, man. Justin Herbert, let's go, baby. <laughs> Fake fan. Would no, you, would I, you I am not. I am not Dan Riccio. I am not Dan Riccio. I am here to stay uh, in Chargers Nation. Listen, there's not many of us, okay? So uh, I, I don't think say, that anybody's going to be uh, taking my spot anytime, real, anytime soon. Yeah, it's better that you're a Chargers fan over being uh, picking the Rams. Oh, for sure, of course. I uh, listen a little bit different now with Matt Stafford. I, I really do enjoy watching Matt Stafford play. Uh, it was kind of, uh, you know terrible there for a couple of seasons in Detroit uh but Jared Goff like might be the quarterback that I hate watching the most I don't know why I don't know what it's about Jared Goff I just find him extremely boring to watch and so that to me was an automatic turnoff for the LA Rams like I just cannot do anything to do with with Jared Goff yeah he's a he's definitely a little bit boring it's like it's I I I don't want to say this because I'm a Vikings fan, but it's kind of like Kirk Cousins where it's like, man, <laughs> he doesn't inspire anything inside of me. It, 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 there's no, yeah. like Justin Herbert, I watched a lot of them, a lot of him yes. this season, and he's super fun. Uh, if you're a Seahawks fan, like watching Russell Wilson every week seems awesome, but hey, I, hey, I, man. I picked the Vikings yeah. and now I'm stuck with Kirk Cousins. Exactly. Would you rather have Cousins or Jared Goff? <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, I'll take Cousins. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'll I mean, take hey, Cousins Jared Goff took... all day. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I probably would agree with that. However, uh, Jared Goff did play in a Super Bowl, probably the most boring Super Bowl in NFL history. Um, and Chargers are looking good, man. I I'm excited to see what they're going to do in the draft. Uh, big year coming up. Uh, let's see what happens in Los Angeles football hopefully uh they do get a couple more fans though uh as they start to you know get fans back in the stands uh in the national football league slowly and slowly uh it is the five most pressing questions in the world of sports let's get to it, it is the five w's here are today's five w's 
All right, I don't think we have big voice guy to say who, what, why, when, where, what, why, but I'll just try and be him. Who, Josh, Nailed is it. your master's favorite heading into the weekend? Uh, I'm going to go with the boring option, Justin Rose. He's in the lead right now just by a stroke on uh, Zalatoris and Harmon, and then you got obviously got Spieth and Thomas just kind of a little hanging a little bit below there, but... I will go with Justin Rose. He's been near the top of the leaderboard at Augusta a few times in his career. He's He seems to always play it really well. He just has never broken through. Uh, he's even had a couple second place finishes in there. I'm sure he's still going to face some adversity over the weekend. I mean, if you watched his round today, he, he had a terrible front nine and he, he got it back together on the back nine. So hopefully he's... He's gotten through the storm, but I'm going to go with Justin Rose. Yeah, I'll go with Jordan Speed, man. Talk about somebody who loves playing at Augusta National. He's won it as a 23-year-old. Finished second on two separate occasions. He had another third-place finish in there as well. Currently sitting just two shots back of Justin Rose, the person that you're saying. Also, here's the thing about Speed: Coming off a tournament win at the Valero Texas Open just five days ago. He's got to continue playing the way he has so far with two rounds remaining. But Jordan Speed is going to be my favorite here uh, at the Masters as we head into round number three tomorrow. What concerns you the most about the Vancouver Canucks signing Tanner Pearson? What concerns me the most about Pearson in particular is his age. And, and when I say that, I don't, I'm, I don't mean he's Jay Beagle or Alex Adler who are maybe a few or two or three years away from retiring, maybe sooner. I just think he may be past his prime, and he's not the most fleet of foot in a league that keeps getting faster and faster, and age is not going to help with that at all. I, It's so tough because when I look at the contract, I don't mind it in isolation, but when you look at everything else that the Canucks have on their salary cap right now, and especially in the bottom six where Tanner Pearson you hope, like, here's the thing as well. If you think Tanner Pearson is a second line forward right now, I agree with you. But ideally, by the end of that contract, he is not in your top six anymore. So mm -hmm. I just think by the end of this contract, he's going to be 31 years old, 32 years old. And to be paying a guy that age that much in your bottom six at that time just isn't uh, the most appealing to me. Yeah, I think one thing that you got to understand, I think when we critique Tanner Pearson is we're not critiquing the player. I think Tanner Pearson makes the Vancouver Canucks better today. And it's uh, really good in the sense that Pearson's on your squad because you can then, you know, have better players than you currently have, I guess, in your bottom six. And that's where I find him as an ideal situation is in that third line left-wing spot. I think that's exactly the right fit for him. However, as Dan Riccio mentioned earlier, the Canucks have not won a single contract, it seems like. The Canucks have not gotten any extra value from contracts that they have signed outside of just a couple. So the thing that concerns me the most about signing Tanner Pearson is probably the fact that as of right now, at least, it seems like that they haven't learned from previous mistakes. There is still a little bit of a difference, as you mentioned, between Antoine Roussel and Jay Beagle and Brandon Sutter. Pearson 
and more consistently has proven that he could actually provide some goals for you. But that still doesn't make it a valid signing in my eyes. It concerns me that when we when we're just a few months away, sorry, just a few months ago, that the Canucks were dealing with some hardships of getting every player that you wanted under contract. And now you're making it even harder on yourself to do that next season. I have zero doubt in my mind, Josh, that Hughes and Pedersen are going to get signed, but it's about adding to the core that you already have. And at least as of right now, the management has decided that signing somebody that is you know, familiar to them, like Tanner Pearson, instead of going out of their comfort zone and looking for bargains was more important. Why does the Tanner Pearson signing make sense? So the opposite question that uh, we just answered. So to me, it makes sense. And, and I feel like we're going to kind of have similar answers here. To me, it makes sense only if there are other moves that account for it, whether it be uh, throughout the summer or into next season. So that would mean, and we've gotten a lot of texts about this as well, a Louis Erickson retirement or buyout, a Jay Beagle going on the LTIR uh, like... Uh, Randeep Janda reported earlier in the week. Maybe it's a Jake Vertanen buyout or an Antoine Roussel buyout, but there needs to be a move that makes up for this because not only would that make the cap space kind of make sense and instead of paying, let, let's use Antoine Roussel as an example, instead of paying his three-ish million to play in the bottom six and sometimes in the middle six, you would be paying Tanner Pearson, who undeniably is a better player than Antoine Roussel, especially at this point in both of their careers. Mm -hmm. And you would be getting that Roussel contract off the books, and Pearson would just be taking over that same amount of cap space. So if that happens, it makes sense, but it's still a lot of question marks. And it goes back to what Jim Benning mentioned earlier today when he when he kind of went off on uh the program as much as a nhl general manager can go off on the people's show when he was talking to dan riccio just saying that hey maybe maybe you don't know everything that i know and there could be this other move coming but obviously he he wouldn't tell us what otherwise he loses all his negotiating power <laughs> exactly. No, you're right. That is my answer. We have very similar answers, as you mentioned, and that is pretty much exactly what I was going to say. The only thing with that is, Josh, is that we haven't seen, you know, Jim Benning and this management make those kinds of moves before, right? Like, look, can I envision the Canucks figuring out a way to maneuver their cap situation? Yeah, I can envision it. But that's because Jim Benning coming out with a quote that we're all seeing on Twitter now saying that he doesn't foresee any cap problems this offseason. Well, that sure sounds like somebody who has a plan to me, right? But the biggest question is, are they going to actually go forward with that plan and do it, right? The Canucks have already said that the deadline expects to be quiet. And if you move out money, I think you could tolerate the deal for Pearson, as you mentioned, Josh, but the track record of me suggests that that's something not to get your hopes up about. When will the Vancouver Canucks extend Elias Pedersen and Quinn Hughes? So I want to say, because Jim, ben Jim Benning did mention earlier, as well as uh, Quinn Hughes and Elias Pedersen's agents today, they, they both mentioned that they've had preliminary talks, but they haven't really gotten that far into it. And 
I, I want to come on here and say, man, I think it's going to happen like next week or within a couple weeks while the Canucks are still off the ice dealing with their COVID issues. But I think that the Canucks are kind of done with their uh, transactions for now. They got the Demko extension done and, and that's really big. And I think that extension is really, really good for the future. Obviously, they got the Pearson extension done. We've been talking about that all week. And these guys are are a little more complicated because it, it the future of your team really depends on how much these guys are getting paid and how long they're locked up. Personally, I would like to see it be long-term, but the Canucks have kind of put themselves in a cap situation where that just doesn't really make sense and it's probably going to end up being a bridge deal. So unless it comes together very, very quickly and talks escalate, which... Like it's kind of seemed to be a trend lately for the Vancouver Canucks. I don't think it's going to happen this time around. I think Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes will get re-upped in the summertime. But before free agency hits, I don't think they're going to give any team the opportunity to offer sheet Elias Pettersson, even if they wanted to. Yeah, um, I, I agree with that. And I think that, you know, the Canucks... When it comes to the contract extensions with Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, I wouldn't be too worried about it. And the answer to the question, when will they extend Pettersson and Hughes, I think is going to be dependent on, you know, how far everything else really, or how much, I guess, everything else shapes up in the offseason. A quote that general manager Jim Benning made a couple of months ago was that he said there are some negotiations with players, and I think he was referencing the William Nylander one in Toronto, and including the Brock Besser one here in Vancouver as well, that go into training camp, and they even leak into the season a little bit. The biggest thing for me, Josh, is that they cannot leak into the season. They cannot even leak into training camp. You need to have a good relationship with their star players, and that's part of the reason why I think a lot of people were kind of upset about the Tanner Pearson deal as well, because at least from... You know, the outside looking in, and I know this probably is the wrong way to look at it, but it just gives you that perception that you're prioritizing a third-line player over your franchise guys for the next 15 years. So, yeah, the biggest thing for me is, when will the Canucks extend Pearson? And he was obviously, it's going to be in the offseason, but the biggest thing is it has to be before training camp because you do not want to have any sort of drama or, you know, storylines, much like the Travis Green thing, uh, you know, storyline that's happening right now with no contract for the head coach either. You don't want that to be happening with your star players heading into the offseason. Or heading into training camp, pardon me. Uh, where is the ideal fit for Vasily Podkolzin next year, should he make the Canucks squad? So this one kind of goes hand in hand with the, the talks that we've been having about Tanner Pearson throughout the show. Because... Ideally, Vasily Podkolzin comes in, and I don't think he's going to have the same impact like Elias Pettersson or Quinn Hughes did. That would be quite the ask from him. But I do think it's realistic to hope that he comes in and plays as well as Niels Hoaglander. And, hey, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he has a bit more of the... The rookie struggles that we kind of expect generally in the NHL, but it seems like Canucks rookies just never seem to go through. 
but I think ideally he would be playing with Bo Horvat, Niels Hoaglander in the top six. But when you look at this Tanner Pearson extension, that kind of makes it a little more difficult because either Pod Colson has to come into training camp and really show that not only is he ready for a top six role, but he he's defensively sound and can play those heavy minutes with Bo Horvat that Tanner Pearson, to his credit, credit does play right now. That being said, I think Pod Colson's probably going to end up on the third line, maybe playing with Adam Gaudet and someone else on the wing, whether it be Zach McEwen or Jake Vertanen, if he is still with the team. Ideally, though, I would like to see him playing with Bo Horvat and Niels Hoagland. Yeah, ideally, you're right, Bo Horvat and, and Niels Hoglander. Uh, you're mentioning that uh, you believe that he's going to get that start on the third line or on the bottom six, at least. Here's why I think it's going to be a little bit of the opposite. I, I, I do believe that the person that he's going to have to, to really challenge and really beat out for a spot is very likely going to be Tanner Pearson. It might end up being Vasily Pod, uh, Sorry, it might end up being Niels Hoglander. Is there a scenario where Travis Green would rather see Hoglander come down and Pod Colson play on a line with Tanner Pearson and Horvat? Sure, that's a possibility, but ideally you would like a line of Hoglander, Horvat, and Pod Colson. So Pearson, to me, is a player that has that potential of moving down to that third line. And the reason I think that Pod Colson can actually come up and play in that scenario for the Vancouver Canucks is because of the fact that he seemingly has all of the attributes that head coach Travis Green loves. And number one on that list is very strong defensive play. He is able to work the boards really well, and that obviously plays into why Hoaglander remained on the top six for the Canucks. He's able to play in his own zone very well. He plays on the penalty kill. He's a very responsible player for the young age that he is. Uh, right now, Josh, and he also obviously has the, the goal-scoring capability. He's got that play-driving capability. He's got that finishing capability. So that all makes him a well-rounded top six player, ideally. I'm not saying he's going to come in and, and absolutely shatter the earth with the Vancouver Canucks and, and you know, do what we've seen with Brock Besser and, and uh, Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes and put up big numbers in their like like they did in their rookie seasons. But I think he's going to be a responsible two-way guy that will be able to play in a top-six role. And because he already has the defensive side of the game down, I believe Travis Green is going to be a little bit more willing to give him that opportunity in the top-six. Yeah, I, I could see that happening for sure. It's it, it's going to be interesting because the Canucks probably are not going to be making a lot of additions this offseason. So it's essentially going to be Vasily Podkola. It, and unexpected things can happen. I don't think anyone predicted the Nate Schmidt trade last season or last offseason. But what we're probably looking at is Vasily Podkolzin being the lone major addition or the Canucks this offseason, and that means that there's probably not going to be a lot of roster shakeup aside from that. So maybe Travis Green, if he is still the coach next year, looks at looks at what he has now and sees the chemistry between Pearson and Horvat and doesn't really want to mess with it. But uh, mm -hmm. I I think a lot of it is up to Pod Colson coming into camp and showing Travis Green, like Niels Hoaglander did this year, that he's ready for a top six role. It is Roger Shergill, it is Josh Elliott-Wolf, it is Sportsnet 650. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into the Masters, also talk some prop bets as well with Adam Forsythe, the green man. That's coming up 
on the other side. Um, I saw this on Twitter earlier today, Josh. Don't mess with the New Jersey Devils social media person. Did you see this? Like, Oh, yes. Fans were calling out the team on Twitter saying they need to do a better job of scoring goals and getting wins. First of all, come on. You guys know that uh, the social media people aren't the guys that are actually playing, right? Um, I thought I don't they were that... out on the ice, tweeting uh, yeah, every time thought... they're on the bench. Exactly. I thought Andreas Janssen was also a member of the social media team for the Devils. <laughs> yes. um, but, you know, so one guy's doing that, and he gets burnt badly. His display picture on Twitter is him bench-pressing at the gym. So you're expecting this guy to be, you know, a couple plates on that and just going hard, sweating his ass off. But the problem with the picture, Josh, is that there's no weights on the bar. Yeah, so, but, but he he took the picture in a way where there were, like, weights behind yeah. the bar. So, like, if you're just looking at first glance, you're like, oh, like, good for yeah. him. He's lifting weights. And exactly. He, he just set himself up for disaster. The devil's Twitter person notices this guy as he's taking shots at them on Twitter. It says, and I quote, your tweets hold as much weight as you do. <laughs> Straight Savage <laughs> completely burned them. And, like, could you imagine if you're a Canucks fan and the Canucks Twitter person says that to you as you're dissing, hey, this cap, this cap management sucks, man. Asset management's terrible. And they just clown on you completely. Like, that was straight savage. I am deleting my Twitter account. <laughs> you you kind of gotta right yeah it's... like i don't know i don't i don't know if you would respect your your fan your your favorite team or if you would just be so mad at them because they just straight called you out this guy just basically and look i'm making complete assumptions just based on that one picture of him but this guy looks like he would be very mad and would probably <laughs> burn all his new jersey devils paraphernalia after Listen, if you're new to working out, the bar can be quite heavy, all right? It's okay if you're just lifting the bar, but don't be calling other people out. And if you didn't already know, don't mess with the devil yeah, or the devil's and maybe, or the devil's social media team. Yeah, and maybe don't make it your profile picture. Like, hey, look, I'm a very I'm a very skinny guy. If I go to the gym, I'm not lifting that much weight. But nope, if I'm yeah. just lifting a bar, I'm not I'm not like, <laughs> this is prime profile picture. I had someone snap a pic right now. Yeah, exactly. You can't put up, like, lifting weights and, you know, putting that as your profile picture. Like, that's all great. Uh, but if you're just doing the bar, I wouldn't do that. No respect, no disrespect to anybody who can only does the bar. Like, that would be me. I would probably only do the bar. <laughs> but I wouldn't put a profile picture of it up. Yeah, I don't it's know. It's bold. It's bold. But yeah, good on the it, Devils. Good on the Devils. It's even bolder for the Devils to do that because obviously he's a fan of the team. Yeah. Well, you would hope so. Yeah, well, not anymore. Not anymore. Yeah. Now he's going to New, he's going into Long Island with Kyle Palmieri and Travis Ajak. He's got to shave his beard and everything. Yeah, exactly. No, Lou will Lou will make <laughs> him put weights on the waits on the bar before he takes <laughs> that's the yeah that's gonna be his job with the devils by the way speaking of lula morello and i know we gotta get to break but are you a fan of the no facial hair oh not at all i like okay, okay here's my dream is that let's say let's say brent burns is in his prime oh, and God. lula morello is like okay hey, i i have to sign brent burns and so let's say the islander signed brent burns and he's like 25 years old 
And Burns goes to Lamorello and is like, "Hey, like I'm not I'm just not shaving my beard. What's he going to do?" Like he, like it just seems like such an easy bluff to call. Like Lamorello <laughs> isn't going to make the guy sit out. Like you traded for him or you signed him. Like it 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 just doesn't make sense to me. I don't like that the Yankees do it either, but the uh, yeah. at least I understand it because they're they're just a more They've been around a lot longer, but this is like strictly just a Lamorello rule. Hey, the Yankees are old. I still don't know if they're old as Lamorello. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like the, the, I I get it. You're right. And listen, uh, here comes like old conservative traditionalist Raja Shergill. Um, I don't, I I don't mind the rule (laughs) because like it's so well, we're getting away from it in hockey, right? We're getting away from it in, in sort of all sports. Um, and most teams have some sort of code of conduct or have some sort of, you know, rules, I guess, that you have to abide by. And most of them have to do with uh, your, your, what you can wear, right? Your sort of code as you come in, your dress code. And yeah. we're, we're getting away in hockey from the dress code as well. Uh, as much as I don't like that, but it's kind of the reality. So this is an you know, kind of on that same scale is like, yeah, we're getting away from it, but it's kind of cool to be like the last team or the last guy uh, or one of the last people that still does it. I still find it pretty cool to do that, but you're right. Like, I don't know. Like, what would he do if Brent Burns says, I'm not shaving? Uh, He would probably healthy scratch him. I don't know. Or, hey, maybe he asks the team, like, would he be willing to shave? (laughs) Like, you know, and if you say no, it's kind of like a no trade clause built in. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like... The trade is just about to be processed, and Lou is like, hey, you're going to shave, right? And Burns <laughs> is like, no, like I'm not going to shave. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, the trade falls through. That being said, that being said however, like if, if Lou Lamorello comes up to you and asks you to shave, like I find it really hard to believe that most people are going to have the courage to stand up to Lou and say no, because he could be a scary guy. Oh, yeah. He, he's definitely the, the New York gangster that you don't want to mess with. Exactly. Uh, it is Roger Shrinkle, it is Josh Elliott. Well, with Adam Forsythe, the green man, coming up on the other side. We'll talk to him about the Masters as well. It is Sportsnet tonight on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Sportsnet Tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott Wolf. Now, here are your hosts, Raja and Josh. Did the, did the Canucks just score? Sounds like is it, is it 2011? Did the Canucks just score, or are we on a holiday? It's sports that tonight. Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott, Wolf. Man, this is like major throwback vibes. I honestly, okay, I I think this song <laughs> as a goal song is a little bit overrated as far as Whoa. like. No, okay, but hear me out. I wouldn't bring it back, but at the time I thought it was. Really good, but once it's gone, right. it's gone to me, you know? Uh, so yeah. Didn't they bring it back? Didn't they bring it back? I thought they I thought they brought it back. I think they brought bit. it back for a little bit in the Sedin's retirement year, and I'm okay with that. If you bring it back for, like, a special event when it's honoring that era or whatever, completely cool with that, but I am not on board with the bring back holiday as the goal song train because, like, that era's gone. You're, it's not coming back, so... Stop trying to recreate it with weird little extra things. Are you on board with them bringing in Holiday? Sorry, not Holiday. 
are you on board with them doing a a like what they did a couple of years ago where each player has their individual goal song oh, or do no. you prefer it to be an a, a team wide song i like the team wide song you get like zero identity if you if if each player has their own song right like there's just no yeah. Like, Chelsea Dagger in Chicago is, like, the best goal song in the league to me just because everybody knows it. How dare it. you mention that? <laughs> I know. Everybody knows it and hates it, though. And if everybody has their own individual goal song, that just wouldn't work, right? So, if you, I agree with you. If you're a team that wants to be super annoying and hated, you need to just have a team-wide goal song. I agree with you. That is... Uh... Dead. It is Roger Shergill, it is Josh Elliott Wolf, uh, it is Sportsnet tonight. Roger Shergill with you here uh, up until 10 o'clock, and Josh Elliott Wolf with you here up until 10 o'clock. Uh, we'll dive a little bit deeper into uh, what's going on with the Vancouver Canucks in terms of uh, their contracts and signing Tanner Pearson earlier on today. General Manager Jim Benning spoke with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw and also Randeep Janda on the People's Show, so we will... Have that conversation for you. We will play it in its entirety coming up in about 25 minutes' time. Uh, at the top of the hour, we'll hear from Canucks General Manager Jim Benning. Listen to that conversation in its entirety. And also, uh, Josh uh, went to go play golf for the first time, uh, and they got a little lucky, perhaps some beginner's luck. So we'll uh, have that conversation with Josh as well, how his first time golfing in a couple of years was. Uh, speaking of golf, the Masters underway right now. Justin Rose is your leader. Adam Forsythe getting set to join us in just uh, a few seconds' time. Uh, and he's actually ready right now. It is Adam Forsythe, one half of the green men, and a golf enthusiast. What's going on, Forsythe? How are you? Yeah, buddy. Happy Friday. How are you guys doing? Happy Friday. Thanks so much for joining us, man. I uh, really appreciate it. Uh, it's probably your favorite time of year, is it not, watching the Masters? Oh, it is uh, a blast. I mean, I'm the sports update guy on this one, 30 and sports at 650, and I'm getting paid to watch golf right now. Awesome. The last two days, <laughs> I have not moved from my couch. Uh, I did screw up, though. I have booked a tee time for Sunday, and so I'm going to miss the, probably the back nine of the Masters, and I'm kind of kicking myself. Oh, no. What time is but, your tee time? I'm playing at 1130, so I probably will miss oh. it, but I'm oh, whatever. Yeah. I'll still be golfing. Yeah, he's still be golfing. Uh, Justin Rose with the lead, but I think a lot of people are wondering about Jordan Spieth, right? He loves playing at Augusta. Does he have it in him to, to get the green jacket this year? Absolutely. I think right now if you were going to pick somebody to win, uh, I don't think Rose can go wire to wire. So my money would be on Jordan Spieth or Justin Thomas. So it's probably going to be one of those two. Spieth has just steadily improved as the year has gone on, he kind of lost his game. He just wasn't feeling it. And you've just seen a steady progression week to week where he's getting better and better and better. And then it finally came full circle last week when he won the Valero. So uh, he is on an upwards trajectory and you can just tell he's having fun again, where he's having those conversations with his caddy. Uh, he's a very vocal golfer. And I think he's probably the guy, but Justin Thomas, after a rough round one, he played. He was the best golfer on the course today. His score might not reflect it completely. He was five under on the day, four under for the tournament. But he is dialed in. And if anyone is going to knock Spieth off the throne, it might be JT looking for his first green jacket. Uh, but yeah, again, Spieth looking for his fourth major overall. He's won the Masters before, so he knows what it's going to take on Sunday. He knows uh, Amen's corner like the back of his hand. 
uh, it's just going to come down to the shots. There's a lot of wind in the forecast tomorrow. Uh, he's not necessarily the best bad weather golfer, so there's going to be some elements he'll have to tackle, but speed's looking pretty good. Uh, a few big names missing the cut as well, namely Dustin Johnson, last year's champion. Big surprise there. Brooks Kepka. And the interesting one to me is Rory McIlroy, who just he he kind of seems to crumble in moments like these. What do you what do you think of his obviously this tournament, and do you think he's ever going to be able to to get that green jacket? Yeah, you feel bad for him, but you also have to take advantage of it if you're like a gambling person. My biggest bet in the Masters wasn't on somebody who's going to win; it was Rory McIlroy to miss the cut, and it cashed today, and it cashed easily because. He just has completely lost his game. And I think after the Players' Championship, it was a real moment of honesty for him. And he is one of the most honest golfers on tour. He, he is not afraid to discuss the flaws in his game. And he said that he has messed up his swing by trying to match the power of Bryson DeChambeau. And he tried to go long off the tee. And it has just completely wrecked it. And so he's tinkering with things. He's trying a new coach. So there's a lot of growing pains right now with Roy McIlroy as he tries to find his game. But it... I just knew going into this week it was going to be bad, and I'm not surprised in the least that he didn't make the cut. He just didn't look comfortable up there at any point. Uh, he fired a few golf balls just way offline into the bush. Uh, he is really struggling right now, and it's tough, too, because if he wins the green jacket, he has the, the grand slam, and only a handful of golfers in history can you know lay claim to that title. So, um, yeah, it's it's really tough for McElroy. Um I think it'll. we probably won't see him around in a form for a while. He's got to work with his new coach throughout the summer. I don't really see him being in contention at any of these tournaments. And hopefully he can kind of find his game again, rein in his distance and his problems off the tee for 2022. And then the other guys you mentioned, uh, Kepka missing the cut. Patrick Cantley was my pick to win. He missed the cut bad. Uh, and then, yeah, Brooks Kepka. I mean, he's three weeks removed from meniscus surgery. He probably shouldn't have been golfing at all but he just loves the Masters so much but he's walking on these massive hilly courses he can't even bend down to line up a putt he has to stick his leg out sideways not a major shocker there um but yeah there's some big names missing Dustin Johnson that one was also a big surprise he missed a really easy par putt on 17 today that dropped him below the cut line and he just never looked comfortable so uh it's kind of a wild leaderboard and with those big names out I said that Spieth and Thomas are probably going to win this thing, but there are some interesting names that can maybe sneak in there. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, you know Bryson DeChambeau a little bit there too when you talked about Rory McIlroy and how much he's trying to match that drive that DeChambeau is so great at doing. And there's obviously conversation about DeChambeau and how much he's changing the game of golf and how great he is at making those drives. But as we know... The play for DeChambeau throughout his game overall hasn't been great, especially uh, you know in the first round of the Masters. But he does make up for it earlier on today. What do you make of his game, and do you think that he can continue to progress upwards as you know round number three and four uh, begin to happen in this weekend? Yeah, with DeChambeau, I think the biggest obstacle for him is like between his ears. He's he's such a, a like a mental head case. They call him the bad scientist for a reason, right? He just overthinks everything. Everything is an algorithm or a number to him. Like he paces off his shots, his distance. And when something goes wrong in your calculations, it can go wrong in a bad way. And we saw that yesterday in, in round one. And at least today he turned it around. He was minus five, one of the low rounds of the day. So he at least put himself in contention. But he, I don't know. I think he just, he's, 
spoke before he thought. When the Masters were held in November, he said, oh, this course plays as a par 67 to me. And that is just, that's karma. You're going to get bit in the ass as soon as you say things like that. And since that statement, he has not played well at Augusta, Georgia. And he said this is the tournament he wants the most. So, I mean, he's tied for 17th going into the weekend. I'm not saying he's necessarily out of it. He can definitely string together some shots. But I think he's just such a wild card off the tee when he's trying to launch things, you know, 350 yards in the air and on a tree-lined course. There's a lot of damage, and Augusta has a lot of teeth, and it can bite you and and take you down pretty quickly. Uh, So I'm not necessarily thinking that he's going to be in contention this weekend, but I think if he can rein in his weird scientific calculations – Obviously, he's got a bright future. We've seen what he can do, and he's he can overpower golf courses in the right situations. The thing that was uh, making headlines pre-tournament was Bryson's warm-up technique of just, like, viciously powering balls down the range, and BJ Singh was just, just standing there watching. What ha, Are you going to implement that into your game? Because, obviously, it's it must be a pretty solid technique. It, it is a pretty solid technique if you want to throw your back out uh, by the time you're my age, like whatever it is, 32. Uh, but that was awesome. Him just completely leaning into those golf balls. Uh, Vijay Singh, who's in his like 50s, just giggling like a schoolgirl. He thought it was hilarious and understandable. And then off at the distance behind that driving range is actually the media center. So they never really talked about it too much on TV, but apparently he was like clearing the range and dinging golf balls off the media center, and people were, they had to come and tell him, like, hey, can you just knock it off for a little bit? So uh, I'm all about that. I golfed this morning, and I I call it an angry swing. So that's my DeChambeau. If, you, uh, if I have a bad hole, the next hole, I'm going to grip it and rip it off the tee, and I did that, and now my shoulder hurts. So I can't imagine him doing that for 72 holes on a weekend. Uh, but, hey, that's why he's a professional golfer, and we're just a bunch of scrubs. That's that's me on every swing. Every swing's a, a an angry swing. Uh, you you mentioned betting on on Rory McIlroy to miss the cut. Uh, what are your what other bets were you looking at this weekend and and looking forward to uh, on the weekend uh, in regards to the Masters? Oh, there's a few interesting ones out there that you can kind of the, the live bet is a lot of fun because they call Saturday the moving day right on the on the leaderboards of the PGA Tour because things jump around so much. Today I think was maybe a bit more of a moving day because we did see a lot of low scoring. And as I mentioned earlier, there is a lot of wind in the forecast tomorrow. So I think the course is going to play a lot tougher. Uh, We might see some higher scores, a lot of players crumble, and a lot of players uh, move to the forefront. So one player I'm targeting, if you are going to jump in on betting now, is Matthew Fitzpatrick. The Englishman, he's used to the bad weather playing over, you know, Scotland and all that kind of stuff. And he is uh, pretty close to the lead. He is even par right now. He's tied for 21st. And you can get him at 150 to 1. So not bad for a guy who's seven shots off the lead. And he loves playing in the wind. He's one of the best wind golfers in the world. So if the forecast is as bad as they say this is going to be tomorrow, I could see, you know, even if he shoots like two under and everyone goes three over, he's right in the thick of it. And 151 is pretty good odds. You can even take him at a top five. And I think that pays five, six, seven to one, something like that. So that guy, and then I think my newest favorite golfer, I don't know if you guys caught it today, but Siwoo Kim, he's 25 to 1, and he is now my favorite golfer ever. This guy is a nut job. He's three shots off the lead today, makes a minor putty mistake, and has a meltdown. He still made a par on the hole, and he breaks his putter, throws his golf ball into the water, 
and then has to play the final three holes putting with his three or five wood. So he is a he's an absolute head case, but he's only three shots off the lead. So if you're able to play three holes using your wood on the green and you're still in contention, I kind of like his odds. He is hitting the ball off the tee and off the iron better than anyone in the field right now. He just sucks at putting, and he always has. That's been his biggest issue. So, honestly, maybe he should just keep putting with a three-wood and five-wood and stay in contention. But if he can even just get half of those putts to go, he's a real shot. So I'm probably going to jump in live tonight on those two guys. But I did. I will loop back and say their odds aren't great. You're not going to get good value on them, but Spieth and Thomas are clearly the favorites. How are you looking in the uh, 2021 Masters Pro Pool? I think Josh and you are beating me. I think. I'm tied for... <laughs> 21st or something like that. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I, I'm failing to live up to the name of the, the golf guy at Sportsnet 650. Uh, <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a little bit embarrassed. I had a few bad picks. Patrick Cantley really let me down. But I want that Spro shirt. So I'm, uh, <laughs> exactly. I'm coming for the title. And because you just brought up Riccio, I don't know about you guys, but I voted no for password. Oh, yeah. Oh. Thank you. Apparently, Raj is a huge hey. password guy. Uh, I'm a yes guy, and hey, we won. So you guys can't you guys can't say anything. We won. I only wanted to, I only voted no because anytime I filled in on the now defunct Reach Deep show uh, for either uh, Dan or Randeep, I would somehow manage to butcher password or give away the answer, <laughs> and Dom would get extremely mad at me. So that was why I voted no because just in case they were filling down the road, I don't want to screw it up again. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, now you won't have to. Actually, never mind. Now you will have to. I got yeah. that. Uh, hey, Adam, really appreciate your time, man. Yeah, have a good uh, Friday night and uh, enjoy the Masters weekend, gentlemen. Thank you. You as well. That is Adam Forsyth. Catch him on News 1130 and right here on Sportsnet 650. Update guy. And also, Green Man. Yes, he is one half of the Green Man here in Vancouver Canucks Nation. Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott Wolf. With you, Sportsnet, tonight we'll dive into uh, more Canucks talk coming up on the other side. Jim Benning, we will hear from the general manager of the Vancouver Canucks. He was on these very airwaves earlier on today talking with the aforementioned Dan Riccio, Randeep Janda, and also Satyar Shaw. Um, big week ahead, moving day tomorrow at the Masters. Uh, Justin Thomas, or Justin Rose, I should say, in the lead. Jordan Spieth, who's my pick, is just two shots back, Josh, and... We were talking earlier, like, if there was something that you could give up to go and play around at Augusta, what would it be? Do you have something in mind? So, I would, and look, I want this to be something that is crucial to, like, your daily life that, like, would actually affect you in a personal way every single day of your life. So, I would give up driving to work and instead just take Whoa. transit every day. Interesting. Is that too much? Like, I don't know. Like I, I, to be fair, I do live but for next how long? To... Oh, like let, let's say a year. Okay. And to be fair, I do live next to a sky train. So it's a bit easier for me, but I would still like, that's a, that's a big part of my life. I would, I would give up driving to work for a year. If I could play one round at Augusta. Well, the thing with that is I think that's pretty good value because, like, okay, a lot of people sky train to work, so I feel like they would think that this isn't uh, too bad of a bet, so but it's not you, terrible. If you've driven but, to work at yeah, or sky that's train, that's pretty rough. 
that is rough because you got the you got the full experience in your car, right? You're just comfortable and you you got the music going and everything. I mean, I don't know. You get to jam out. So I I think that's a pretty good bet. The thing with that is though, like if you do it say a year prior to your time at Augusta to play, like you're always looking forward to it, even though you have to wake up and say, oh, I got to go to the tr Sky Train. At least there's like something at the end of the tunnel that you're looking forward to. With me, if I were to give up something, I don't know what it would be, man. Like, I, I don't know what that is. I never thought about it enough. I know we talked about it, but I, I didn't do my job and think about what it was that I would give up. But it, it must be like probably like a food, like maybe pizza or something. Yeah, pizza's, pizza's a pretty big... Uh, okay, I, I almost went with this. And I know you you are the proud owner of a PlayStation 5, which is oh, something, yes. something people have had a hard time getting their hands on. Would you yes, give sir. that up? And not be, let's say let's say you're not able to buy one for two years after. Oh man! Would you give that up? Uh, well, yeah. Do I have to give it up, or can I just put it in my like, you know, in my closet? No, you got to give it up. So also, <laughs> oh, no. also in two years, you got to pay another like seven hundred dollars. <laughs> uh, okay. Here's the thing. Like currently, like the PlayStation Five just came out in November, so I'm still like starting to play it a lot, right? So I, I'm kind of in that gaming mindset. But a year ago, prior to the pandemic, I hadn't touched my PlayStation in almost two years. In about a year and a half, I hadn't played it. So if you had asked me then, yeah, no problem. But now, in the middle of me, like, you know, being all into my new games and stuff, I'm a big Warzone player. Let's go. Shout out to Adam Gaudet. Like, I, I don't think I can give it up, man. I, like, what would I do? You like, would just, you're just going to play Augusta on, like, PGA 2K instead. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I, by the way, I do have PGA 2K. I've been wanting to I, buy it because, uh, hey, Dan Riccio said, I'm a big golf guy now. And yes. I feel like I can't live up to that claim until I buy PGA 2K. I have PGA 2K, though for the longest time I couldn't justify it to myself to buy a golf game. But I, I ended up doing it. I ended up doing it. I bought NHL at the same time because they were both like on sale, fifty percent off. So I was like, okay, if I'm if I'm gonna spend the money on on two K, I must I'm, I must buy NHL as well. Like I, I couldn't justify just getting the golf game. Fair. You know, so I don't know, man. I don't think if I can give up a PlayStation Five, I was gonna say beer. Like, would you be able to give up beer for a year? Yeah, but also I I wouldn't say I'm a big I'm not a big beer guy. But I, I could well, see well, how whatever like an alcoholic beverage. Yeah, yeah, I I would give that up. It, honestly, it would probably just make me healthier too. So yes, it, exactly. It, so you got two benefits in one there. But I don't know if a lot of people can do that. No, I, no. I don't know if I can give up pizza and beer, especially in the summer, man. I mean, I know we're living in a pandemic, but still, like it, you know, going out and like if we're in a normal year, if we were to go out to like watch the Canadians play and that Bailey, you gotta go and have a beer and have a hot dog and have a pizza or whatever, right? Like I don't know if I would be able to give that up to play around at Augusta. It's definitely a big ask. Uh, if you have something big in your life you would give up to play at Augusta, text us, 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line. We'll see who, maybe someone's willing to give up a lot. Whoever is willing to give up the most will get a shout-out. Yeah, if we're willing to give up the most, like that means it must be a, a very like lifelong dream for you to play at Augusta. I think because for, like that's not gonna happen, right? For a lot of golfers, it I feel like maybe we probably should ask Force this. Like it's it's probably a lifelong dream of his to just play one yes. round at Augusta, right? 
of course, of course. And I know like a few few NHL players have done that. I know Freddie Anderson has 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 had that. Uh, he has been able to do that. I think William Nylander has been able to do that on a couple of occasions as well. So all the Leafs guys have have had that opportunity to play Augusta. I don't think that they gave up too much though. But I don't know. Maybe that's an interview for a different day. Uh, Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott Wolf will hear from the general manager of the Vancouver Canucks, Jim Benning, coming up on the other side. He was on these very airwaves earlier on today. We will hear that interview in its entirety. It's coming up next on the official home of the Vancouver Canucks, Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Sportsnet Tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott Wolf. Now, here are your hosts, Raja and Josh. Final hour, it is Sportsnet Tonight. Raja Shergill, Josh Elliott Wolf with you. The official home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. We'll hear from Canucks General Manager Jim Benning coming up in just a couple of minutes' time. Was on earlier today on the People's Show with Dan Ruccio, Satyar Shah, and Randeep Janda. Um, man, there's been a lot of golf talk on this show, uh, of course, because the Masters underway right now. We are heading into round three tomorrow. Justin Rose with the lead. Jordan Spieth, two shots back. The guy that I'm looking forward to watching the most uh, tomorrow for moving day. Uh, Josh... With, uh, you know, you and I talked about this last week, and, and now all of a sudden you're hitting the links, you're you're back into the golf grind. I think it's been a couple of years for you, but you went out, you purchased golf shoes, you purchased golf clubs, probably a couple of polo shirts, who knows what else. Yeah, golf... hit up winners, man, of course. Yeah, hit a, got, a, got a golf uh, glove, I'm sure, uh, and all of a sudden you're, you're golfing now, and you're, I don't know when this was, but set the scene for us. Apparently, you drive a a par four, and where are you playing? You're playing in Langley? Playing it at Newlands in Langley. Very nice course, so, by the way. So set the scene. What do you do on, on one of your shots at Newlands? So it's the third hole. I am on the tee box. I put my, uh, I put my ball just, down on the let tee. Me, let me just ask you, how did the first two holes go? Honest, okay, here's the thing as well. The first two holes went surprisingly well. Like I, I'm pretty okay. sure I bogeyed the first one, but my only ah. my only par of the day was the second hole, so it was all ah, downhill that's... from there. Well, hole three actually was pretty great, wasn't it? So <laughs> well, hole three, you're on the tee box. It started well, yeah. I'm on the tee box. I the the shape of the hole is a dog leg right. And so my plan going into it was like, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna lay up in the fairway and then I'll try to get on the green in two. But I, I kind of had to drive to lay up. So I hit my driver and I'd been doing it in the range for like the last week and it sliced right. And I was like, ah, oh, man, like I'm in the trees. I'm going to have to go find my ball. And then everybody else in my, in my grouping shoots and I'm, I'm a little dejected, a little upset. But as I, as I shot, the guy in my group that apparently golfed there a lot more often, um, he he didn't speak English very well, but he was like, oh, that's that's professional. And I was like, what does he mean by that? I thought he was like making fun of me for slicing it. Um, but anyway, I get up to where I thought I would have to look for the ball. I'm looking around in the trees. And then the guy I'm playing with, he like yells at me. He's like, "Hey, is that your ball on the green?" And I'm like, "No way! Like that's 
that's somebody else's ball, like from another fairway or whatever that just had a bad shot of their own. And then sure enough, I get up to it and it's my ball. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I am way better at golf than I thought. But it was a complete accident. I like sliced it through the trees apparently. And I, I must have got like a fortuitous bounce somewhere in there as well. But uh, so theoretically, I was on the green with a chance for eagle, and then I four putted and got a bogey. <laughs> how how far were you from the the uh, the flag? I was pretty far from it. So it like the it worked out. So I was just kind of barely on the green, and the flag was on the opposite side of the green. So it was still like right. if I had made the putt, it would have been an amazing putt, but. It uh, it all fell apart. But, the pressure got to me, and then it was all downhill from there. Yeah, well, you missed your yeah, you missed your two putt, so you three putted, which isn't terrible, I guess. No, it wasn't too bad. I on well, I think I hey, I, yeah, to go bogey par bogey on your first three is not terrible, man. Yeah, that, honestly, I thought I was going to be a natural at golf after the first three <laughs> holes, and then. I think on yeah. on the back nine I had like five eights and it was a, oh, it was not great. Yet, I believe you finished with one eleven. Yeah, I did. I did. Which well, I well, heard. It. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say a one eleven like isn't terrible. I don't think for starting out. Here's the embarrassing part for me is that I've been golfing longer than you, but that's probably what I would finish with there. <laughs> I feel like so. Just, uh... Like I suck. Well, it, like. I feel like there's just a baseline, and I, I don't know. I've heard taking lessons really can save you like ten or ten or so strokes, and maybe maybe we both need to take lessons, and all of a sudden we'll be shooting under a hundred. But I've heard that yeah. apparently for a for a first round, one eleven is pretty good. That is pretty good. That is pretty good. Uh, maybe we can ask Adam Forsythe for lessons. Yeah, get a good discount. The Green Man discount. Yeah. Exactly. He can show us his angry golf swing. Uh, Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott Wolf, as mentioned, Canucks general manager Jim Betting was on these airwaves earlier on today with the People's Show, Dan Riccio, Satyar Shah, and Randeep Janda discussed all that's happening with the Vancouver Canucks, the Tanner Pearson signing as well, but he began on the very real situation that's happening with the Vancouver Canucks in regards to COVID-19. Yeah, I, I think it, you know, like the, you know, you hear about you know, people getting it and stuff. And then when you see, you know, it hits so close to home when you see your players get it and, you know, their families going through it and stuff, I think it, you know, drives home the, the fact that you got to, you know, do, do the right things though. Wearing the masks, social distancing, like, you know, all that, all those things are so important now with, you know, these variants that are, are running through, you know, it seems like our province right now, and and then who knows where it goes from there. So, um, you know, I think you know our our players they've done a good job of, you know, masking up, and you know we're pretty diligent about making sure that we're doing the right things. And, but yet it happened to us, and you know we've had to deal with you know the whole thing the last couple of weeks. It's been hard. And Jim, I know you mentioned in the media availability that all the guys, as far as you know, they want to come back and play. Nobody's going to hold out. But as far as how difficult this has been on the guys and their families, how much soul searching did go on with those guys, especially the guys who had their families impacted through all this? Well, it's, you know, when you start, you know, it's one thing for the guys to go through it. And, you know, we've had, 
you know, uh, some guys that have had it a little worse than other guys, but, you know, they're, they're tough guys. They're world-class athletes. They've, you know, dealt with it, but then, you know, when it's spread to the, the families, you know, then that's something that they couldn't control. And to, you know, to go through that, like, you know, they're worried about their families and stuff. So I think, you know, the impact on that's been, you know, just as hard, you know, watching their families go through it as, as when they had it and they went through it. So, you know, but we're, we're dealing with all that. I've talked to a bunch of the guys the last two or three days here and, you know, it seems like I'm hoping that we're getting on the other side of it. And, you know, we get once, you know, we have today our trainer, head athletic trainer, um, the doctor, the head of the doctor from the PA, Dr. Bovard from us and the NHL doctor are going to have a, a conference call and go through things. And then, you know, once we get the OK from BC Health to open our facilities and get our guys back, you know, working out and skating again. And then we'll just go from there as to, you know, when the league wants us to start back up and, and, you know, we'll have a compressed schedule from now to the end of the year. But, um, you know, we've had a compressed schedule before we got shut down here. So uh, we'll just have to deal with it. Well, Jim, the speculation and the conversation has been that, okay, maybe a, a rumored return for next week at some point back on the ice. Is that realistic from where you sit? Well, it's it's going to be the, the medical people that make that determination. Like, they're, you know, first and foremost, it's going to be the health and safety of our players and, you know, the players on the teams that we're playing against. So, you know, this is beyond like hockey decision making. This is up to the, you know, the doctors involved in all the different uh, aspects of the league to do what's right, you know, for the players and for the teams. And, you know, they I don't think they they're not going to take chances with this. They're going to do what they feel is right. And then from there, determine like when we can get started again, where it's safe for everybody involved and then. You know, once we get that determination, we'll get a schedule and we'll have to look at a schedule and, you know, just try to figure out it'll be a compressed schedule. Like, you know, if, you know, even if the league decides to go a little bit longer, we will probably end up playing like four games every five or six nights. So it's it's going to, you know, it's going to be compressed, but, you know, we'll just have to deal with the best we can. Jim Benning, our guest here on the People's Show. You you have been able to to get a couple of bits of business done over the last uh, week and a bit here. Uh, let's start with Thatcher Demko, and and it's, it's kind of an unprecedented contract for a player with uh, the amount of games he's played for a goalie with the amount of games that he's played. Uh, I guess that just speaks to your level of belief in what Thatcher has done with the organization to this point. Yeah, well, we, you know, I think, you know, he's a, a guy that, you know, we thought highly of in his draft year and took him at the top of the second round. We've, you know, every step of the way in his development, you know, we've tried to do the right thing by him, by keeping him at school for a couple of years, having him play in the AHL for two and a half years, you know, bringing him up to, to Vancouver and insulating him by making sure that we have, you know, another goalie to for him to learn from. And, and then, you know, and then giving him the reins this year and he's had a good season for us. And he's a hardworking kid that, you know, is, is 
kind of, you know, he's focused and, you know, has accepted the role of, of being a number one goalie for us this year and has played well. So, um, you know, he's 25 years old now. We just expect him to keep getting better. And, and, and you know, he's going to be a big part of our team here moving forward. Well, and, and Jim, of course, Thatcher's emergence has been fantastic. And, it, it you know, to me, a five-year bet on this guy, it makes sense to do that. Now, the question a lot of people are asking as well is, Ian Clark has done such a fantastic job. And I know that you and Ian, Jim, have a good relationship, and I know that's all good. But I know a lot of fans want to see the Canucks hold on to the coaching staff, especially Ian Clark as well, to keep working with Thatcher Demko. Where is that? Like, Do you feel optimistic something can get done with your coaches, but namely Ian Clark in relation to Thatcher Demko? Yeah, like we, you know, our intention is to bring the whole coaching staff back. And, you know, as we get a footprint, you know, for what next year looks like, you know, we're going to do everything that we can to make sure that we bring Ian back, you know, along with everybody else in our coaching staff. So, um, like I'm on record, I think Ian's excellent at what he does. He's done a good job with our goalies and, you know, and, and especially Thatcher, they have a good relationship and, you know, we, we want to bring Ian back for sure. You're listening to The People Show. We're joined by Jim Benning. Jim, t- yesterday's announcement uh, included the Tanner Pearson deal, which has been a conversation point in this city. Why did you feel it was important to lock up Tanner to a multi-year deal uh, going into his th- age 31 year? Well, he's an important player in our group. Like, you know, he's him and Bo have formed a, a great friendship since we've traded for him. They're good together on the ice. Um, you know, he, he's a guy that he shows up, he competes hard every day, he's reliable, um, he doesn't miss a lot of time through injury, um, and he plays the right way. He's strong along the walls, he goes to the net. Like, you know, for us to get to where we need to get to, I think as a as a team, we need like two or three more Tanner Pearsons in our group. So, um, you know, I'm I'm excited that he chose to stay. And, you know, that he worked with us on a contract that, we, you know, we think is a fair contract for the player and for the organization. And there's a lot that goes behind the scenes in making decisions like this, you know, uh, and, you know, how it affects, you know, younger players on the team. And Tanner's a guy that, you know, every all of our younger players look up to and, you know, his, his habits that he plays with every day in practice and you know in games is what we want all of our players to play with and so it was important that we got him locked into a contract and uh you know versus going to try and try to find that player in free agency where we don't know what we have um you know he's he's a great person a great kid a great teammate and um so i'm really excited that we got him locked up did you feel, Jim, it was extra important to get Tanner Pearson done, especially with, you know, what happened last offseason? You guys went to free agency. Markstrom didn't come back. Tanner didn't come back. We know Toffoli's situation and even uh, Troy Setra to a lesser extent. Did that experience kind of shape your desire to get something done here with Pearson before he got to free agency? Well, you know, we we would have wanted to get Pearson signed, like, regardless of what happened last summer. Like, he's he's an important guy in our group. And, you know, sometimes when people look at the outside, they don't have all the information that we have, you know, dealing with players on a day-to-day basis. And and so, like, he's a glue guy in our, in our group. And, 
you know, we got some some older guys that we don't know like what's going to happen with them this summer. We're going to have, you know, some younger players in our group again next year. And, and Pierce is a good role model for those guys. Well, looking at this season, he has been streaky and his production is down. Um, a player in his late 20s on a multi-year deal. How confident are you that this was, wasn't an anomaly when we're talking about Tanner Pearson's uh, 2021 season? Listen, you win Stanley Cups, you know, when your team has reached a maturity level, you, you win with guys that are, you know, from 24 to 34 years old. Like, that's the window. Those players are physically and mentally mature. They can handle the rigors of playing every second night in the playoffs and how hard it is. He's won a Stanley Cup. He knows what it takes to win. And he shows up and, he you know, he plays every game like it's his last. So, um, you know, like you guys are looking at him as a 20-year-old player that's old. I, I don't see it like that. His, you know, the, the schedule this year uh, maybe hasn't benefited a player like him, like playing every second night, traveling. But I think, you know, next year, once we get to our regular schedule again and we're playing all the teams in the league, I expect him to have a good season for us. You mentioned in, in your earlier availability that you're pretty comfortable with the cap situation moving forward. And I know it's not as simple as us, you know, heading over to cap friendly and, and trying to make up the math. But uh, the way I see it, once Patterson and, and Hughes uh, get signed, the, the ballpark number, whatever that may be, it. I don't see a lot of space beyond that. What What do you see uh, with the well, cap you, situation? Like that, that's the problem that you guys have because you don't have all the information. You don't have the same information that I have. So, you know, we're good. We got some decisions that we're going to have to make at the end of the year. And, but I don't see that as a problem uh, going forward to cap. Now, having said that, the flat cap is, you know, the cap's not going up. So we're going to, have to you know keep on top of things but you know given all the information i i look at it and i think we'll be fine for next year uh jim and we you know you mentioned a couple months back that in two years so in a couple of years with a cap you know money coming off the books and the young guys getting better and that's when the team can take a step forward do you still mm -hmm. view that timeline as you know not this year the year afterwards and everything that you guys are doing is it still built towards taking that leap in two years and getting that cap situation cleared up a bit more over the next year or so is that, that still the plan yeah, but the, the, you know, the cap's going to be flat. We know that it's going to be flat for the next three or four years or next three years. So, you know, it's going to be about, you know, drafting well, developing our young players and when they're ready, giving them a chance to, you know, play games on our team and, you know, to further their development until they're impact players for us. And, you know, we got some guys down this year that you know i think will be challenging for jobs next year on our team young players we got but colson coming in um you know triamkin uh we'd like to try to get him signed so we got some you know good young players that we're going to add into our group here moving forward that you know we think are going to only make us better and with the maturity of the young players we have and i think they've taken a step this year uh, I think we're going to be, you know, in two years' time, I think that's we're going to have a real good team and have a chance to compete for the Cup. Jim, you provided an update on most of your players and your availability today, but is there an update on Jay Beagle? Will he return this year? 
Well, I don't have an update yet on Jay. Um, he's out for now. I, and, you know, he'll continue to see the doctors. And, you know, when we have another update, we can share that with you. But I don't have an update as of today. Uh, Jim, uh, you, you got uh, the Masters on, on the schedule for the weekend. You going to take in a little bit of the Augusta action? No, I'll be on the phone <laughs> figuring out yeah. how many players we're going to need here to, you know, finish out the season. If we have to recall players, um, we got the trade deadline on Monday. Um, and then, you know, from there, I'm, I'm going to get out here and, and do some scouting for the draft. We're going to add another good, real good young player in this year's draft that will be part of our mix. So um, I, I, I won't have much time this weekend. Well, uh, no rest and uh, keep the keep the phone fully charged. It's going to be a busy weekend. Uh, thanks, thanks for this today, Jim. Yeah, thanks, guys. That is Canucks general manager Jim Benning speaking with Dan Riccio, Randy Janda, and Satyar Shah earlier today on the People's Show. A player that we talked about, Josh, going into the trade deadline, and who could bring uh, some uh, could bring back to Vancouver uh, a little bit of a haul with them was Tanner Pearson, but he gets locked up. Uh, Jim Benning mentioned that there he's not going to be taking in the Masters because he's too focused on the trade deadline. Um, has the kind of, you know, entertainment, at least from Canucks Nation, gone out the window now that some reports are coming out that Vancouver might not be uh, that active in trade discussions? I think it was already going to be a pretty lackluster deadline. I mean, you, you look at the team and... Pearson was the the kind of only attractive option if you're another team looking to acquire someone, and now it's essentially Travis Hamanick if he if he wants to be traded. But again, that's probably only to Winnipeg or Calgary or Edmonton. And then hey, maybe Brandon Sutter gets moved, but we saw Riley Nash only get a seventh round pick today, so it's not like uh, there would be a crazy big return for him either. So. It's uh, If you're a Canucks fan, you're probably not all that hyped up for trade deadline this year, but maybe elsewhere around the league there's some more exciting moves. It is Roger Shergill. It is Josh Elliott-Wolf. Another great interview that happened on the People's Show earlier today was with Yannick Hansen, former Vancouver Canuck. We will hear from him coming up on the other side as well. It is Roger Shergill. It is Josh Elliott-Wolf. You're on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Wrapping up the week in sports. This is Sportsnet Tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott Wolf. Final segment of the show. It is Sportsnet Tonight here on the official home of the Vancouver Canucks Sportsnet 650. Raja Shergill with you. Josh Elliott Wolf alongside me. Well, not really alongside me. Usually, we're both in the studio today, Josh. As you can probably hear in my audio, I am broadcasting live from my bedroom in beautiful Surrey, British Columbia, Canada. It's weird. We're not usually uh, apart, but I think it's gone well. I think it's gone pretty well. It's a little awkward, like, trying to talk without having the the eye contact and kind of just knowing, you know, who's going to answer, ask the next question or the cues, you know, the, the regular cues that you would have in re- working in radio, but we're, we're doing it uh, without that today. And I think it's going, I think it's going pretty well. Let us know. Text message inbox, probably going to say we suck, but Hey, that's all right. We're used to it. Yeah. It's a complete, yeah, completely understandable. Yeah. If we suck today, 
I will take it. <laughs> like, it's okay. Uh, did anybody count how many times Jim Benning said, you know, during his interview today? Well, you know, that's a, a pretty common uh, crutch to have by a lot of uh, NHL players and, and management as well. Yeah, that's a text on the uh, 650-650 Dunbar Lumber inbox. Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> I feel like we all have, have something like that. For whatever reason, when Jim Benning does it, though, it's it's really very apparent. Like, I say I say like a lot, and I don't think it's that obvious, but now that I've said it, it's probably going to pop out a little bit more. But whenever whenever Jim Benning says, you know, it, it does seem to, like, attract more attention yeah. than other people. Well, you know, well, you know what part of the reason is, right? It's because Jim Benning is criticized on literally everything. And and this is kind of proving the point there, right? Like about the way he speaks, about what he how many times he says you know and says and stuff and whatever else it might be. There's a a point to be made about even if Jim Benning had let's say traded Tanner Pierce, and I think most people obviously would have been happy with it but there's still a select few people that would have been upset at the fact that benning for example never got enough for tanner pearson there's always going to be critics especially in a hockey mad city like vancouver yeah that's kind of the the nature of the job i guess um it comes with the territory it for comes sure. with the territory and in this instance like in this specific scenario, I think both you and I are on the same page. It's it's pretty understandable, and I think it, you're justified to be critical of this signing. One thing that I have seen uh, online specifically is whether, let's say another GM came in and made this exact same signing. Some people have said, well, if, if that GM came in and did it, you'd be okay with it as long as it wasn't Jim Benning. And I get what people are saying when they do point to that, but it, part of it is, is it being Jim Benning? And, and this seems to be a theme yeah. in the contracts he signs are all very similar, and they've all kind of worked out in the same way as well. Look, a lot of people were on the fire Jim Benning bandwagon, if you want to call it that, in my opinion, a little too early. This was going back three years. People were have been saying, uh, we got a text and he said it 64 times. Yeah, probably. Uh, but, uh, you know, people were on that Benning, you know, fire Benning bandwagon going back three or four years. And that to me is a little too early because we still hadn't known exactly the type of team he was going to build at that point, right? There were still young players in the organization that obviously have now graduated and are the key players for the Vancouver Canucks. But one of the biggest reasons and one of the biggest critiques that a lot of people had about Benning at that time was, well, he hasn't gotten anybody to play next to Bo Horvat. And you can still say at this time that that's pretty true. But this, the thing with the reason why I was kind of, you know, saying, let's, let's take a step back for a second back then, Josh, was because people at the same time were not willing to trade any assets. They weren't tr willing to trade uh, a first round or a second round draft choice or a young prospect to get that winger for Bo Horvat. And so you cannot say that, well, well, Horvat has no wingers, but then be on the side of, well, we shouldn't be trading any young assets either because at that point you're just got to be playing the waiting game. And that's kind of what Benning did, right? He kind of just played that waiting game. To be on that wagon now, to be on that, 
you know, to be saying that Benning should be fired now, to me, makes a little bit more sense because he has given up legitimate assets to bring in players like Tyler Toffoli, who obviously never ended up being re-signed, like a JT Miller, and to a lesser extent, like uh, Nate Schmidt as well, right? So you kind of have that, those moves that he's already made that you can, like, point to and say he's had that opportunity. But you're right, everything that he kind of will do will get criticized, and uh, I, I do want to say it's a little unfair, but also, as you mentioned, it comes with the territory of being a general manager in Canada. I don't think if another GM made that move, he would also be let off the hook. The only reason I can say he would be let off the hook is because with the new general manager and the new regime comes a new mind uh, mindset and a new plan, and you can understand why you know extending a guy like Pearson, although it might not make sense necessarily, it might give the fan base more uh, belief that the bad contracts that are on the books will get actually re- uh, solved, right? Will actually get dealt with. Whereas I'm not sure if the fan base actually has uh, the belief that Jim Benning and this current regime is able to actually move off of the current bad contracts that were signed by him. Definitely. And going back to what you said uh, in the middle there, it's, it's tough when you look at Jim Benning's tenure because at the beginning, obviously Trevor Linden was here as well, but there's there was this thought that, hey, let, let the process play out and see where they are at the end, and then you can kind of judge Jim Benning for his resume. And I, I was kind of on that train as well where I was like, hey, look, it's it seems to be trending in the right direction with Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes entering the league, and Everything was looking up, but now it's time to start capitalizing on that because you have the pieces in place. And now I've kind of flipped sides where I'm personally a lot more critical of him because now is the time when the Canucks should be gearing up for making playoff runs and, and making the playoffs every single season. And look, maybe they're not a Stanley Cup caliber team, but they should be trending in that direction. And right now, it seems like they've kind of stagnated and they kind of have to wait for uh, all these contracts to come off the books. But again, to Jim Benning's credit, he he mentioned it when we replayed that interview from the People Show earlier tonight. It's maybe there's something that he knows that we don't that will all of a sudden make this offseason seem really, really good. But as of now, it's it's pretty fair to be critical of his recent work. I agree with that. That is uh, Josh Elliott-Wolf. It is Roger Shergill. You're listening to Sportsnet tonight. 20 minutes to go here on the show before uh, the weekend hits us. So Hockey Night in Canada tomorrow. Vancouver Canucks obviously uh, will not be playing. We're not sure exactly when they're going to be back in action. Uh, also, round three of the Masters tomorrow will uh, going to be prime viewing for me. That's probably what I'm going to be spending most of my time doing uh, for watching round three tomorrow, Josh. Uh, but also, I, I want to continue to chat about the Canucks. And earlier today, Yannick Hansen was on these airwaves as well, talking to Dan Riccio, Satya Shah, Randeep Janda on the People's Show. He discussed all of that's going on with the Vancouver Canucks, uh, including the recent signing of Tanner Pearson. I think it might be Jim's way to sell this uh, to the fan base a little bit, because uh, obviously you can't you can't point to to his uh, statistical stuff right now uh, he's having a obviously not very good uh, season for his standards and you're signing him to uh, to quite a bit of money um, 
And again, if he bounces back to where he was last year, 20 goals, 40, 50 points, a contributor in the top six, by all means, this is a great deal. You can flip him down the road maybe. Um, but if what we're seeing this year is Tanner Pearson that's going to be seeing going forward, then this is another contract that's going to come back and bite him uh, like some of the other uh, signings that are, are, are very, very heavy on, on this team right now. And, and that's the big thing here, right, Yannick? And when we've seen other contracts like that, whether it's Roussel and Beagle, it's easy to be a bit worried about. In reality, obviously, Pearson, a bit younger, a bit better than those players in the same times they were signed. But is it, you know, Jim says it's important for the room. How important is it for the room, though, sometimes to make these types of deals? That's what they truly feel. Are moves like this necessary sometimes for the room? Or as you said, is that a convenient way to... Um, well, it, it's very hard to say again because I'm not in the room. I've never played with the guy. I played against him. I, I don't know what he contributed with in the room. Um, but uh, like, like guys come and go. New guys fill the voice, uh, the void. What, what happens when when the trends leave this room? Oh, oh who's going to step up? Well, there's going to be a couple guys stepping over, t- taking over. It might be a year or two. It's the nature of the game, rotation, uh, and it's happening quicker and quicker. Um, yeah, granted, you can't let half your team or, or three quarters uh, walk uh, on one uh, in one off season. But but again, um, it's again it's um, it's hard to to weigh the or, or he's providing this in the room. Well, we need guys to provide on the ice. And again, like I said in the beginning, if he bounces back to where he was um, last season, great by all means. This this is a great deal. Uh, a little bit smaller cap hit than, than he's on pre, uh, right now. But again, uh, guys have not been getting better the, the older they get, um, and it is moving quicker and quicker. So, again, you can hope hope for the for the first, but again, uh, um, it, it, would, it wouldn't be a pretty sight if, if this turns out to be another one of those deals that you regret um, yeah, a year or two from now. Well, on that note, though, because when we had Jim on the program a little bit earlier on, he did mention that, hey, you media guys focus on the age. 28 is still young. You've played in the league. You've gone through that. Um, in today's speed, today's game, when you're hitting 29, you know, 30 years old, 31, it, what changes? What's the toughest part of keeping in line and keeping up with the young kids? Durability, uh, pure and simple. Uh, you get hurt. Uh, and once you're hurt, uh, you're a step or two behind once you come back and, and you're you're always fighting to catch up. If you're playing, you're not hurt, there, there's no issue. Um, I don't think I was that much faster when I was 21 than when I was 30. Um, but my issue was I, I didn't get hurt when I was 21. I got hurt uh, getting hit bad, uh, pulling a groin in practice when, when I was 30, which it's something you don't happen when you're young. And then when you come out of the lineup, that's when it's it's so hard to come back, getting into into shape, getting back up to game speed, uh, and all of a sudden, instead of having played 82 games, feeling good about yourself, um, 30 of those games are now uh, where you're trying to catch up and, and you're playing at 80 percent, and that's where you're you're seeing it. So if you stay healthy and can play, then 29. 30, 31 doesn't matter. It's when you start coming out of the lineup, you're seeing these uh, these injuries. They're like, okay, where did he get hurt? We didn't really see him get hit. We didn't see that. But again, they're out for four weeks. When you when you watch Tanner Pearson, what what makes him successful when he's playing? He's well? got a he, he's got a hell of a shot uh, and can pick the corners. Uh, he, he's a guy you have to be aware of. 
sound defensively. So he is that type of gate, that type of player to complement a lineup. He he's not a go-to guy in any in any way possible, but but he's the guy you need around your core six or seven guys um, that that fills the gap. Um, so you have a complete lineup. So he is definitely that type of guy. Um, again, he needs to bounce back to to where he was, but but he has so many qualities that when he is on his game, he, he's impactful, and he doesn't have to be scoring in order to do that. He can play that shutdown kind of role with, with Bo he's been doing lately, tough matchup and all this stuff, and still find a way to, to contribute. But, but again, that's hard to do if you're not 100%. Yannick Hansen is our guest here on The People Show on Sports in the 650. And looking at this team now heading into the offseason, I mean, they still have 19 games to go if they play all 19 when they do resume play, but they signed Thatcher Demko, they signed Tanner Pearson. Looking at the direction of this team, and, and Jim also mentioned they feel like they're going to be able to clear some more money maybe, and they're not worried about the salary cap. But cons- considering how this team is currently constructed, how much money is being spent, how confident should we be that they are going to be able to take a step here in the next year or two? Uh, that thing will be uh, judged on two things: Hughes and Pedersen's contract. Uh, what, what can he get them signed under? Uh, and that's where that's where it, it, all the chips falls. If they get uh, too much, and I don't want to put numbers on this, but that will really be a, a difference maker. Uh, what they end up signing them for, because uh, like you said, flat cap and all these things, uh, a lot of money will come off in the next year or two. Um, but again, these two guys are going to eat up a lot of cap space um, and again getting them to I don't want to call it team friendly but but manageable number where you, you're still leaving room to signing that guy that either needs to play with Pedersen or the guy that needs to play with Quinn Hughes um, so so you're not leaving a, a gaping hole in, in the lineup because uh, yeah you were forced to sign it to whatever these guys uh, and their agent wanted. Yannick, is that something that's used as leverage in negotiations based on your past? Uh, is that something that's brought up and saying, hey, we got to make this a winning team, so you got to take less? Um, you know what? Back in back, back, back way back when, I'd say uh, 8, 9, 10, uh, negotiating with, with Gillis and, Gil- and Gilman, it was a nightmare. Uh, they, they'd press you on anything, even your minor league salary. Um, and they did that, obviously, knowing that, that if we want to put a team together... Um, we need guys to come in and under what you could uh, could probably get. And uh, greatest example is probably the, the Sedin uh, deal they signed that that one at around six was where like guys were scratching their their heads a little bit. How how did they get them signed for that? Um, and guys kind of follow, follow suit a little bit and took a little bit less. Uh, um, I think it was in 2010. You get Ham Hughes, who is probably the number one, number two defenseman in the UFA, at a reasonable uh, deal as well. Um, you get your hometown guys signing as well at deals that were team friendly, and all of a sudden you have a have a complete team. Um, that kind of went away later in my career with, with the young guys starting to get paid a, a lot of money right off the bat. Now you didn't have that uh, that squeeze that the uh, management could use that, that you get in not just three years out of your good players, but maybe you get five and six out of these guys before they start making the, the, the big bucks. Um, so it's, it's a different world right now, and it's definitely more challenging for, for management to put in teams together because you don't have as many, as many screws that you'd probably like.
Yeah, we, we do talk about the internal cap thing, you know, and uh, Tanner Pearson, you know, he's he sees how much some other guys maybe further down the lineup are making, and he's he's going into negotiations saying, well, you know, I, I have a bigger role than, than that guy. Does that does that go into negotiations as much as we make it out? Um, I, I think it does at some point. Uh, I don't really remember. With me, the, the only thing that was really – that stood out to me. It was uh, Chris Higgins signed uh, uh, four year, uh, 10, 10 million, I think, did a couple of months before me, maybe a year before me. And we used that. You guys are both um, that player. You fill roles, you fill penalties. So this is where you fit. And and this is where this is where you end up. Uh, that's the only time I've really been been putting uh, in a gate with with another player um, on my own team. Otherwise, it's it's been it's very hard to to compare two players like you guys are talking roles, uh, where you're being used, uh, age, all these these things. Um, but but again, uh, obviously from from Pearson's perspective, he he's looking at some of those guys below him and uh, saying, yeah, I, I should probably be making a little bit more than those guys based on on where I play, how you use me, what you're expecting of uh, of me again, because this is what it, it boils down to. Again, you're signing a guy um, based on what you hope or think he can do for you. Um, so it's it's again they're they're banking on him coming back to the 20 goals. Uh, 40 some odd points uh, hopefully a little bit more if you're playing top six in power play but but that is again what you're paying for um again does he deliver time will tell well that's the thing right yannick that's what you're paying for and that's what you want to see delivered now the other thing that we didn't get clarity on outside of jim saying they want to keep ian clark they want to keep all their coaches including Travis Green, judging what we saw from Travis and the coaching staff when Ian Clark, of course, during the playoffs last year, we talked about that a lot. You were impressed by the coaching staff and what they've done. How this season has gone, how do you view it? Do you still view it as a big necessity here to get the coaching staff signed and back? Or do you think maybe looking at a different direction could work too? No, it's consistency. Again, like I, I, I prefer the same coach. Travis has done some, some good things. Uh, this season has been derailed a little bit, and again, it, it's a strange world right now. Uh, uh, hard coming back, camp, and all these little things. Um, again, you want some continuity here. Uh, same guys, give them a chance to to run with this. Uh, obviously, if you come into next year and and you're seeing the same thing, uh, it, it's not a good look. Uh, you're hopeful that you can start taking those steps forward. The, Jim is mentioning uh, two or three years from now is, is when we're. Uh, we're supposed to be competing. Well, if you're saying two or three years, then uh, year one, you, you better start making some progress in the right direction. Uh, you're not saying five years where you have a, a time to accumulate draft picks and watching these guys grow. No, you're starting to, to, to make steps in the right direction pretty much right away. Um, so again, it's uh, it's a tough balance because um, it is a uh, coach's job is, is probably the shortest lease you have there. Uh, and again, it, it's a result-based uh, business. Uh, you're winning, everything is great. Um, you're losing, uh, not so much. That is former Vancouver Canucks forward Yannick Hansen talking with Dan Riccio, Randy Janda, and Satyar Shah on The People's Show earlier on today here on Sportsnet 650, giving his perspective on what is going on around Canucks Nation, including the signing of Tanner Pearson. And he's right, he's hit the nail on the head there, Josh. When things are going well, everybody is loving you and things aren't going all that great, then 
you were one of the the most hated people in the town, it seems like. Yeah, and that's kind of the theme in all of Canadian markets, and that's the reason people come here, because they they want to be the guy that makes everything right, and hey, like... If, you, if you're coming to the Canucks, in the back of your mind, whether you're a player, general manager, head coach, you want to be part of the team that brings the first Stanley Cup to Vancouver, right? So it's uh, it comes with the territory again, but it's definitely – if things are going bad, you are having a not-so-great time. Completely right about that. That's it for us. Roger Shurigil, Josh Shelley Wolf. This has been Sportsnet tonight. Hope you guys enjoy your weekend and hope you guys enjoy your viewing of the Masters if you are doing so. It is round number three tomorrow and also lots of NHL uh, on the schedule as well. No Canucks, but lots of hockey. It is a hockey night in Canada. Roger Shurigil, Josh Shelley Wolf. This has been Sportsnet tonight on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.